0: Hello and welcome to Ghost Divers. This is an anime podcast on the Export Audio Network. Uh, and I am your co-host Neve and I am joined by your other co-host Connor. Hello.
1: Uh, what was that? What was what? That. <laughs> <laughs> Are you gonna start criticizing my my one word intros now?
0: uh today we are covering episodes 14 through 19 of ghost in the shell standalone complex second gig um do you have any preliminary remarks before we get into synopses for episode Um, 14
1: hi everyone i'm connor co-host of ghost divers thanks for coming so nice nice to to have you join us here
0: we all have a good
1: laugh here is that is that better
0: um. Not really. Uh,
1: I'll, do I'll do that one next time.
0: <laughs> okay. Um, episode fourteen. Dividual. Beware the left eye. Japanese title translated. Poker face. English. <laughs> um. So. Representatives from the American empire have arrived in Japan to discuss a new security treaty and section nine plays a part in securing the building where the talks are taking place in their downtime, members of the uh, different security teams are in the midst of a poker game. But so far Saito has won every hand. Um, I kind of read this as like including rookies, but whatever um, intrigued by this, the Koma is assigned to the security truck shift uh, their discussion from the reasons for the new security treaty to the reasons that Saito is consistently winning at a game of chance. Um, again, I did not write these synopses or just copied and pasted them from Wikipedia. For a raise we'll in the game, Saito later, offers, sure. yeah. For a raise in the game, Saito offers to share the story of how he acquired his poker face and why it's helping him win. In 2020, the far off year, of 2020, the American Empire invaded Central America in an affer- uh, effort to stop the drug trade. Uh, tired oh, yeah, of Japan's lack, yeah, <laughs> tired of Japan's lack of involvement in the war, Saito decided to hire himself out as a mercenary and was picked up by a group uh, fighting to keep Mexico's provisional government in place. One day, Saito caught wind of a special forces team, uh, which happens to be a force of un peacekeepers with a tactical nuclear weapon that would be passing through the destroyed remains of monterey where saito is stationed saito decided to engage the group and managed to kill a total of three people before the specs op team uh determined his location headed by major kusanagi uh there's just suddenly like multiple members of the uh section nine here um as this like team that Saito is going up against uh, the yeah, remaining members of the strange. team. Yeah. The remaining members of the team stormed at the hospital. Saito was camped out in, uh, but not before he managed to kill two more men. Um, all of the men that he kill are of course, not main characters from section nine uh, outnumbered and cornered. Saito believed that Kusanagi uh, would likely kill him in a one-on-one shootout, uh, but believed that she lacked the necessary software to snipe at him at medium range. Uh, Saito tried to engage Kusanagi before she could download the mid-range sniping software only for her to disable him by shooting out his left eye uh, Kusanagi explained that she already had the software and it intentionally acted as though she didn't to lure Saito out and neutralize him and with his ability Kusanagi took Saito with her uh, which is how he ended up working for section 9 as the episode comes to a close, the possibility arises that the story which Saito just told is completely fabricated. Perhaps using the plot of an old movie, um, Wikipedia notes here, the episode's plot closely resembles the final acts of Full Metal Jacket. I don't know how don't closely, say. but I, I guess kind of, yeah. <laughs> and, well, there's just so much more going on in, in Full Metal Jacket. But, um, yeah,
1: but the like, but, yeah, climactic sniper shoot down, like infiltrating the building,
0: yeah, the the thing here, just before I finish this synopsis, is, um, a lot of the way that people talk about these episodes is like describing things that just seem to be like nods or little homages to Western cinema as like, oh, they're just doing this movie, and it's like. Not really, though. Like, I feel like the one that's the closest is the Taxi Driver episode. And even that is still, like, doing quite a bit different. Um, but yeah. anyway. Um, but when Saito wins the round as well, the Tachikomas wonder if he may have been telling the truth after all. Uh, really was Major Kusanagi and Bato and Ishikawa. Um, I think... Were there any more? I know it's those three. Uh, um, I think it's
1: just those three.
0: Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, that's this episode.
1: Yeah. This is, uh, this is
0: the most like, um, there's a little bit at the very beginning that is like pointing towards the overall plot, but this is the most just like, you know, quote unquote standalone episode. Um, Yeah. I feel like in this entire, in this entire show, like in all second gig.
1: Yeah. It, it might be um it's it's a pretty odd episode um especially like the framing of it um so the way like it opens with this almost like cursory tie-in to the main plot where it's like showing the um like aramaki and the major um working as like security for the prime minister and then yeah. it, it just like completely pivots to this, to like, oh, it's a Saito episode. And then you have like the flashback device, which I don't think, if I'm remembering right, like, I don't know if we've had any episodes in Ghost in the Shell that use this, like, oh, the entire episode is like a flashback framing.
0: Yeah. The, the closest to like, there's been a significant amount of flashback is the one that we talked about last time with the, um, memories in the, the The dream store store or whatever. Um, but even that is still significantly different than like it just being like, now the majority of the episode is going to take place in flashback. Um, Yeah. And be like also specifically a narrated story, uh, that someone is telling.
1: Yeah, and also, like, then the artifice of, like, the narrated story, um, it just feels like it is almost an awkward transition to just suddenly get into, like, so I think there's a certain awkwardness to um, the way that Second Gig starts doing, like, oh, this is the Paz episode, and, like, oh, this is the Saito, like, episode. Yeah. Um, and these are just like the backstory episodes. And then it just like fully goes into this like flashback narrated story. Uh, and then it's like, oh, twist ending, like, it may not have been true or whatever. Um, it, for me at least, like wa- watching through uh, for the first time, it was a little bit jarring. Um, to just like get this episode because it does so many odd, uh, things.
0: Yeah. I also, I almost feel like it still is like less case of the week than a lot of the first season is, but like the first season of standalone complex, um, has a lot more of like, here's just what this episode is about where part of me almost feels like this would work a little bit more situated there. Um, it would still feel slightly out of place because of this like flashback framing device. But um part of what feels so jarring here too, is just like how little this episode has to do with any of the overarching stuff with the individual 11 or with the like evil sis go to subplot stuff. Um Like the yeah. most we get is like, Oh, section nine's continuing to serve the prime minister, blah, blah, blah. But it's almost this just like, Yeah, things are, like, continuing on. Um, We get this little bit about the relationship between Japan and the U.S., um, but it also feels so easily like you could just situate it outside of this episode um, in a way that, like, the pause episode also kind of feels like this, um, Mm -hmm. but has a little bit more intermingling with, like, oh, we're clearly developing stuff around, like, Kuse and, and faces and everything um whereas yeah this is just like straight up let's just do an homage to like war movies and you know in particular reference some of full metal jacket and <laughs> Um yeah
1: i i think the thing that's like especially weird for for me is so last time we talked about like in the you know memory store episode there's this kind of like I don't know if I want to go all the way to call it a rewriting, but there's this, like, revelation about the major's past and, like, oh, the first boy I ever loved. And, like, it is, like, they're giving these characters backstory that is – um, it doesn't really feel completely congruent with what we've gotten so far. Yeah. And, like, I felt the same watching this, where it was, like, oh, you know, all of a sudden, like, so, okay, so we knew that Bato had fought in these, like, world wars from, you know, season one.
0: But also, we knew that he did it as part of the Rangers, and that, like, all of the Rangers have his, like, you know, circle eye, like, disguise. Um, And there's, like... There's that significant plot point towards the end of standalone complex of like oh here are other rangers and like you know
1: yeah and there's like plot points about like that's always been important to bato's character like it was gradually revealed but that's always been like part of his character important to his character and like by like omission at least like a unique aspect of his character um you know we have episodes that center around like the fact that he's a like, a veteran of these wars, like, the Jungle Cruise episode, yada, yada, yada. Um, And it's, like, never hinted at or remarked upon or, like, you know, alluded to in any way that, like, Ishikawa and the Major were also just, like, oh, yeah, we fought in the same war. We were in the same unit, you know? Yeah. And all of a sudden, it's just, like, oh, yeah, like, we are in the same unit. And it's just, like, what? (laughs) That just, like, doesn't make any sense with, like, this has never come up before, um, and like I, I can accept that, um, but like, what's weird about it is the fact that, like, we get all this stuff about Ishikawa and the major, like, okay, there's this revelation they ever in the war too, but then it doesn't really seem to go anywhere um, or tie mm-hmm. back in to like anything about their character, which just like makes it feel that feeling of like incongruency um it just like affirms it almost it just is really strange
0: Um, yeah um in some ways like if if i'm thinking primarily about second gig being about this like relationship or supposed relationship between the major and Kuze. Um, I can kind of see how part of what this episode is doing is maybe like further developing, like uh, oh, we're getting different backstories, but like the truth of those backstories are like somewhat complicated, um, mm-hmm. in a way that will like, like perhaps hinting at like, okay, we don't like fully know what the the history is between Kuzey and the Major or something, right? Um, yeah. things can be like misremembered or changed in the retelling or whatever, um, because also, like the version that we get in that. Um you know the flashbacks that are in that uh like memory store place is from the perspective of the person who's like tending to the the dolls or like the the empty chassis of the kids um and not really the major except for the little like reveal at the end of like oh it was the first boy she ever loved um yeah. which again is like the stupidest part of that episode <laughs> Um, It will continue to be a thing that it just annoys me with this series. Um, Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's also like, they're kind of doing something, but I like, I don't know, like, oh, memories can be uncertain. Like if it feels, it's not even an interesting development of a theme that the, the series has been playing with in the way that like often I feel like, especially standalone complex, the first season was so good at being like, we're going to have another episode that is going to complicate or, um, like enrich or like further develop the scene that we're doing around, you know, what it means that people can swap bodies or whatever. Right. Yeah. Um, this one is the most, it, it's a fun episode. Like this is just a, an entertaining episode to watch. Um, but it's one that I, I kind of look at and sometimes I'm just like, it it feels out of place because so much of the rest of the series, uh, and especially this season, is so concerned with like this overarching plot that I'm just like, what it what is happening? Did you just need to fill an episode? Like, is that? And you just did a fun story with Saito that like, you know, you can wave away as like not even being canon if you want. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it's <laughs> Or
1: like, oh, we need a backstory for Saito, and like, yeah, this is a good one. This is a cool one. And, like. I mean, I think you have a good point about this, like link between the major and Tuesday that they both have, um, like the experience of fighting in a war, um,
2: mm-hmm.
1: being maybe something that has some significance, um, and then also like, yeah, like the episode tells us specifically, like, oh, there's a degree of artifice, like, uh. You know, potentially, um, like I think at the end, one of the the poker players is like, "Oh, that's just like sounds like the plot of some movie." You're probably lying, and yeah, Saito's like, "Oh yeah, it does sound like the plot of a movie," um, and you know, almost like confirming this. Um, so, yeah, there's like this kind of acknowledgement of artifice, but then um, later we get like a kind of a partial confirmation. I think um, either the next episode or a couple episodes later when um, there's this passing line of dialogue where uh, I can't remember exactly what it is, but um, I think it's Bato is like, oh yeah, the major and I were like overseas and one in like during the world war doing some sort of operation. Yeah. Um, so like, does, you know, so the major did fight in the war or something with Bato. Yeah. But was it this? Um, like, I don't know.
0: How much of this is fabricated? You know, maybe some of it is pulled in for the way that you will talk up a story to make it more entertaining. Who knows? Um,
1: yeah. Like my story about how yeah, it's in the post credits.
0: Yeah. Um, this, this is like, I want to be clear that when I watch this episode, it's really fun. I enjoyed this episode a lot. I like this episode as an episode of television. Uh, when I sit down for this project of, like, let's talk about Ghost in the Shell Standalone Complex. Uh, let's talk about what this show is doing. I look at this episode and I'm like, this is just a fun episode and I don't I don't really know what else it's doing. I can kind of point <laughs> to things, but I just... I don't think it's, like, contributing much to the overall, overall arc other than just being a fun episode. And it's fine for it to be a fun episode. I still... I like this more than other episodes that are contributing to the plot and that I think are doing really stupid and bad things with like (laughs) characters that feel very out of character from what we know of these people. I Um, wonder,
1: I wonder what, what episode that might be. (laughs) It sounds sounds like you don't want to talk about it at all. Shall we Um, move on so we
0: can get closer to having to talk about it? Or do you have more thoughts about this episode? um, Um,
1: I I will say like, I don't want to be too harsh because that's not really like my thing. Um, Yeah. I, I agree. Like it is, it's a fun episode. Like the whole thing about like the showdown where Saito's like, oh, she's downloading the software right now. Um, so she's like using data to download this the the mid range sniping software because she's only got long range and short range. Um, that's just great. I I love that. Um, I I got a good laugh out of that. Um, yeah. And then there is some stuff about like it has the like most tenuous possible thread back into the plot which like you pointed out and we have talked about briefly Um, but I do think there is some significance with like we see now like Section 9 on TV the the episode starts with them like on TV um, as like the bodyguards of the Prime Minister and it's like continuing this theme that we've talked about of they're getting drawn in um like they're continuing to you know be close become closer and closer to the prime minister now they are her bodyguards um and there's something about like exposure there um because like we now see them on public tv um so i think this series is you know continuing to show us this esca- like escalation of vulnerability and exposure where you know all of a sudden section nine is like you know, visible to everybody, um, on like cable news or whatever, or C-SPAN. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, um, I think this kind of, it doesn't come to a head like in this arc, I don't think, um, but it continues to develop. So, um, yeah, that's like the main the-
0: thing. This episode is bringing up, um, in a way that hasn't been quite as directly addressed, um, and that will be like important as the, the story continues of this idea about article nine, which if people are, are unfamiliar um, it was after world war two, there was a um, article that was like essentially in a, an amendment uh, to the Japanese constitution, um, which outlawed war as like a means of, of um, that, like the Japan could not like partake in war, uh, to like settle disputes involving the state basically. Um, and what this meant is like, there's still like some military forces in Japan, but a lot of it is like, they can't really operate like outside of Japan. It's like purely a, a self-defense thing. Um, so this is the Japan self-defense forces, um, which sometimes get referenced, um, in the show, like previously, but like ballistic missiles, um, nuclear weapons, these are all prohibited. Um and after the show was made, there there was a um they didn't do an amendment, but they instead like approved a reinterpretation that allows them to defend other allies. Um, who are are like when war is declared, which was, was somewhat controversial. Um, the U.S. loved it, so like <laughs> <laughs> there's a stuff happening here it. that that is actually like somewhat in relation to actual contemporary world world, uh, real world like contemporary politics that were happening and the time this show was being made and that like actually developed further after the show um and in ways that are like not too dissimilar to some of the stuff here although it happened sooner um which is perhaps unsurprising for a, a show commenting on that but like this idea of like this japan u.s relationship this idea of like hey, we have this article where we can't, like, declare war, we can't have nuclear weapons, but we do have this Japan miracle technology um, that is, like, the the nuclear scrubbing. And so if we ally with the U.S. Um, and they have the nukes and we have the, the scrubbers, then, like, that one makes our, like, nuclear scrubbers more valuable. Um, and also then, like, further strengthens the U.S.'s military power. Because now they have, like special access to this thing that would um, make it less detrimental if the u.s got newt basically yeah if they start um, another nuclear war yeah um so this this is like an i feel like i forget if it specifically gets developed in some of the next episodes um but yeah this is all stuff that i think
1: even it, if it we do not
0: directly see it here yeah i think we see some of it a little bit later but like you can see how this ties into like go to working on the nuclear scrubber technology and doing all this behind the scenes planning. Um, like I wonder if the guy who's really invested in the nuclear scrubber
1: technology would be excited about, <laughs>
0: um, <laughs> anyway.
1: Yeah. Um, so actually now that we're on the subject, I do have a couple like more thoughts about this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, so like specifically continuing like this line of thought, um, there and i'll have more to say about this later um but i do think there's this kind of interesting uh complex like geopolitical allegory or actually yeah an allegory involving geopolitics as one level of the allegory um being developed across second gig um that i see happening Uh um there are comments in this episode uh, where the, the Tachikomas are kind of like talking about article nine and uh, this like possibility of Japan, they're renegotiating a security treaty or or negotiating a new one where Japan is going to get more like equal footing um, with the United States. Um, And there's a line about like, oh, Japan wants to get revenge or, like, get back at the Americans for losing face. Yeah. Um, the stuff about, the,
0: like, the their pride, like, Japan's exactly. pride.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Which,
2: so
0: then, like, I put in a get, note here, it's he, notes here around this, Tachikom is expressing, or at least summarizing, fascistic war hawk talking points in Japan. Um.
1: Yeah. So there's this, like, Japanese nationalism thing, which ha- has been in the background. We've talked about it. Um, but this, like, uh, hawkish, like, fascistic, um, nationalistic, like, sense of national pride, um, that tying into, like, the Japan-U.S. relationship, and then wanting to have, like, um, and then, like, Japan itself, um, the question of Japan, like, gaining independence or autonomy, um, from other countries, namely the United States, like, on the national stage. Um, this, like... Um, there's, like, something happening with an allegory of, like... Um, these, like, different levels of consciousness or these different, like, units of consciousness, um, like, trying to attain independence, um, from, like, you know, individuals to, like, groups of people, um, namely, like, the refugees, for example, to, like, nations on, like, the national stage, um, or the international stage in, like, a geopolitical theater. Um, that I think ties back in to, like, this, uh, Kessler stuff about, like, hold-ons and, uh, like, uh, the organization of, like, uh, human society. Um, So, anyway, I just want to put that out there, because, like, we're getting some of this here, and I don't know if I have, like, a satisfactory, like, oh, yeah, this is exactly what's happening. Um, But I see this kind of, like, um, this the stuff's starting to, like, swirl together a little bit.
0: Yeah. Um, Before we move on to the next episode, I want to quick say the names of the other members of the team that are not uh, the Major Bato and Ishikawa. Uh, Corporal, Sergeant, Mother, Snow, Ginger, and Pickles. So I wrote them Mm -hmm. down as they they showed up.
1: (laughs) Um, And we will never have occasion to remember them again. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> um, episode 15, uh, individual episode, uh, Japanese title afternoon of the, Sh- of the machines, English language title, Pat, <laughs> um, <laughs> section 9's Tachikoma fleet is down for routine maintenance. Uh, so I yield Pat, but it might be PAT. Um, yeah, probably. Yeah, it's probably PAT. PAT. Um, okay. <laughs> returning to synopsis. Oh, you mean the, that, that. Playable
0: trailer for the Silent and Hell game?
1: <laughs> <laughs>
3: anyway, continue. Yeah,
1: exactly. Um, Section 9's Tachikoma fleet walks through the same hallway over and over again for 40 minutes. Uh, <laughs> somehow it's it's still really scary. I don't know why. Yeah. Um, a- anyway, um... <laughs> i told this story
0: on stairwells but uh when i first tried to play that i still have it on my playstation 3 i could go back and play it now that i don't have radiators uh but you know chicago apartments most of them have like just radiators in every room um and my radio radiator was making the exact same like hissing and clicking sounds (laughs) that like she was making in this one (laughs) sequence and then she attacked me and then my radiator kept making the sound and i was like i can't fucking do this i'm
1: out oh yeah that's horrifying (laughs) That's like yeah. the worst possible, yeah. <laughs> the worst possible setting to play that game in, um, because that game is so much just about like imbuing you with complete paranoia of like yeah. that at every any turn, like there could be some horrible thing, and then your apartment like radiator goes off. Yeah. Um, anyway, um, episode fifteen. So. Tachikomas are having maintenance done. Uh, while the technicians inspect the fleet, the think takes begin a philosophical discussion on the individual 11 case and the implications and motives behind it. Gradually, this discussion shifts to the topic of the self and the reason that the Tachikomas have felt the sensation of looking down on themselves. Um, I guess that's a good enough summary you know, <laughs> of. <laughs> a lot happens uh, here, but
0: if you're going to summarize yeah. it, I guess that.
1: That is what happens. Yeah. Um, um, meanwhile, Togusa, uh, a badly animated Togusa, um, <laughs> Bato, <laughs> Bato's personal Tachikoma and Kusanagi report to uh, SP Ring 8. Um, I didn't really note the, like, the, this, the name of this location, um, but no name. Oh, yeah. Um, spring They go 8. to the Spring 8 to gather evidence that uh, collected by the staff uh, from the 10 deceased members of the individual 11. Um, while there, an explosion rocks the facility, and Bato, Togusa, and the Tachikoma dash to the scene. Having learned that a man named Asuda may have been in the building, um, it's it's a research facility, and Asuda is a researcher.
0: Yeah, this is an actual existing, uh, it stands for Super Proton Ring uh, 8GEV, um, and it's a synchroton, uh, Synchro Tron radiation facility that's located in hyogo prefecture in japan there you go um,
1: the more you know so um so um, <laughs> they they learned that a man named asuda may have been in the building um so they uh regroup uh, aboard the tilt rotor for a trip to nihama airport uh, along the way bato and Togusa learned from the major that dr asuda is the inventor of the touchcomb ai and maybe attempting to defect to North America to obtain patent rates, um, so he can make money, of course, um, which he cannot get in Japan as a state-sponsored scientist. Uh, Dr. Asuda is taken into custody in the airport lobby, and on the return leg of the trip to Nihama, uh, shares an important secret about the origin of the touchcoma AI system with the team, before bonding with Bato's Uh Dr. Asuda's information helps solve the mysterious uh, quote-unquote out-of-body feeling the Tachikomas have been experiencing. It turns out that this new fleet's AI uh, and central server are located on the satellite in space. He also admits that he had secretly inserted a program into the comas so that they instinctively remember him as a way to have his achievements recognized. Um, yeah. It's just like a small file, really. Um, yeah, it's like literally just a memory of himself. Yeah. Um, I, I will I'll add... Just like I, his face, basically.
0: You
1: know, I, not I don't even, like this... details the synopsis doesn't really explain it well, but so it's not that section nine learns the secret of the Tachikomas from Dr. Asuto. Like they already know. I, well, I think
0: the major knows the major I, knows. I, the vibe is, I don't know if Bato knows. I don't think Toga knows or Togasa knows. Um, That's the like vibe of the reactions that I get is that Togasa doesn't know the, the Tachikomas definitely don't know. But I also right. think Tokusa doesn't know. But the major certainly knows. Because there's some stuff leading up to it where, like, the major's like, oh, I know who this doctor is. I know where he's going. He's going to Nihama Airport. He's flying to escape. And everyone's just like, uh, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I guess. Like, in the way that, like, the major sometimes just hacks stuff and knows things, everyone's just like, yeah. well, she seems to know. Let's do it. Like,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's um, like, oh, you know, um, like oh, you can't question like why the major knows something because sometimes she's just so far ahead that like yeah yeah um, but yeah so the major knows like Aramaki I'm sure obviously knows but um, I think the big fat like the secret is revealed like mostly to the Tachikomas that they learn this about themselves um, yeah and then of course like Togusa and Bato, Um were yeah I think
0: follow. I think the Tachikoma's learning is the like emotional impact of the episode. But the vibe I also get is that the major was keeping this from a lot of the people like below her in the chain of command. Um, again, Armaki probably yeah. knows this, but um, yeah, um, I guess I can I can start with like a few. So one when the Tachikoma's appeared uh, at the end of like episode one, I think um, I commented on mm-hmm. there's like something coming up that I wish just happened sooner, um, and it's this episode. Because, like, obviously there's stuff in this that makes more sense here. Like, the way that they're, like, doing some of the other stuff where they're looking into the the um, individual Eleven stuff and, like, looking into Kuze and everything. But some of the other stuff that's happening here, um, I don't know if, like, holding out for the reveal is that useful for, especially this late. Um, and the other thing is that like one, I feel like getting sort of an explanation of like, Oh, the Tachikoma's brains are in this satellite. Um, like if you could do it even after that one where that does come up of like, I had that sensation, um during that like fight against the helicopters like you could do it like shortly mm-hmm. after that i think um I, d- I just wish it was sooner so you got a little bit more explanation early on of like we didn't just bring back the, the mascot characters they're still kind of doing that but like here's some reason why here's some like development on the tachi like we're doing something more with the tachi than just bringing them back because they're the mascot character um and so part of me is i just wish in terms of like me having an investment in this series and an investment in what happened to the tachikomas in standalone complex so, like i got this earlier on than i get it here um just in terms of structure of the series the other thing here is this is where we really get the introduction of this character proto who's going to come up again in like later episodes and i just wish we had more time to develop him um, and I, this is an area where it feels like it makes the most sense to bring him in. Um, cause he is like working with the Tachi Comas. Um, I guess they could have brought him in, in like other episodes, but like, I wish that we got him more as part of a team because, uh, without like, I guess, spoiling if people care about spoilers for synopses we're going to do later, um, <laughs> there's going to be stuff around like new recruits and things. And I wish that we just got like one of them earlier that we could latch onto in the way that they're going to want us to care about Proto. But I feel like not have enough time to really do that in the same way, Mm -hmm. um, as if they had like brought him in earlier. So, um, yeah, those are two of the big things. I don't know if you have immediate reactions to that. Um,
1: yeah, I think, um, I mean, you're right. It is like, the way that the, I mean, we complained about the, like, at the end of episode one (laughs) and how the Tachikomas are just like, Oh, Hey, we're back. Um, yeah. And then it's, it's not really like explored or grounded in any way. Um, and then we finally get it here and it's like, okay, but I've already gotten over that, (laughs) you know, like you just dropped this bomb on me about the Tachikomas and I've already gotten over it. Like, now that I'm now that we're getting the explanation, it's like, you know, like, but I've already gotten over it. Like, I don't, I don't need the same word. Yeah.
0: Like, 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 I think the idea that like the major specifically after the events of standalone complex, we get the thing where she h- is holding that one like chip and is like, there's some, you know, the curiosity is what brought her back to like occupying a body and not being in the net. Um, mm-hmm. And having earlier on, Uh, What she did is she took that, she's doing this thing, not telling the Tachikomas what's happening, not telling most of Section 9 what's what's happening, of doing an experiment that is specifically around, like, we're going to continue synchronizing them, we're going to see how individuality develops, um, also so that we can have more control over it, we're going to have them up in a satellite. Uh, Their actual AIs are up in a satellite, uh, which, like, you know they don't fully explore this in this episode, but you can easily imagine how having all of that located in a satellite, um, might enable like, we Could can more easily cut that off where if it becomes a problem, they are no longer piloting their bodies. We can just cut off the link or whatever. Yeah. Like we, we have this like grounded centralized thing. Um, rather than them being these like actual individual bodies, they are actually like this collective body in space. Um, um, And so So I'm specifically looking into what's happening with these, but like in this controlled way where I'm like in control of it, which gets also signaled here with them referring to the major as their God at one point um, who wants to like prevent their individual individuality. And yet they're still like progressing nonetheless um, as they're like talking about self and developing a ghost and everything. Um,
1: Yeah. And so after like, so the first thing is to like, you know, the, the timing of this is kind of weird. I agree. Um, yeah. But I do think that like a lot of interesting thing has, things are happening here um, and following for like from the point that, that you're making. Um, so my understanding is. So, yeah, first of all, there's this thing about like separating the mind and the body, um, which comes up like. Specifically as a point of discussion um, among the Tachikomas, um, even before they, like, realize their situation. Um, But it's, like, a philosophical notion that's in the debate um, in this episode. So, yeah, so part of this this experiment is separating, like, the Tachikomas' mind from their body.
0: Yeah. Um, And then then also this is is tying into... Not to, like, fully interrupt you here, but also the stuff that happened around the pause episode of, like, but is the ghost held in the body or is the ghost held up there? Precisely. You know, if they're developing a ghost, where are they developing a ghost? Um, Precisely.
1: Yeah. And, like, it... And, yeah, this whole notion of, like, the embodied consciousness, which was, like, was a big, you know, one of the big thrusts of our discussion last time, and I think that arc of episodes... It's like, oh, consciousness is something embodied. Um, and these those episodes are pointing to that in like all these different ways. But now this episode is coming seemingly to challenge that. Um but it in a way that is like um I, I just it's not clear cut. So, you know, yeah. you have the Tachikobas whose their mind is separated from their body, but it's still embodied. Like, in the satellite, like you're saying. And it's embodied collectively in this satellite. Um, Where all, like... You know, their minds are, like, embodied together in the satellite, but they experience their embodiment in these, like, individual units. Um, Separate units, separate from their mind, and also separate from one another, like, down on Earth. Yeah. Um, but so also encourages- have
0: some, some sensation of the embodiment that exists in the satellite. Um- yes.
1: Um, and having, like, individual consciousnesses, um, having, like, individual um, sensory feeds, like, to some extent, that are localized on their um, their Tachikoma bodies. Um, and then, like, this debate about the third self, um, which is, like, um, either like I think you can interpret it as either like metacognition or like you know like ghost or spirit or something um but then we learn oh it's this like it's a literalized like our mind is in a satellite in space looking down on us um so it becomes kind of like um what the show does with this becomes this really interesting like philosophical structure (laughs) Um, for like continuing to um, complicate all of the themes that were like um, that we've been talking about, yeah. um, and then like moreover, the the one other thing that I would add is um, so my understanding is that part of the experiment um, that the major has set up, like not only all of that stuff, um, but also the Tachikomas only synchronize like vital data they don't synchronize like entirely um yeah there, there's something about like them being incentivized or i can't remember the exact language that's used um but them now like being inclined to want to like um have their own like to keep information to themselves um and they only like as a matter of like protocol only synchronize like vital data. So there's like vital data that is uh, shared between all of them, but then they also have like, you know, they're accumulating um, other like types of data onto themselves. And that's how like this individuality is progressing. And that's kind of like by design, I think is, is what is uh, set up here.
0: Yeah. Um, I, I, I definitely agree with that. And I, I think one of the other things that, um, I guess just like further talking about, you know, the additional reason why I kind of want this episode to come earlier is, um, there's also a certain amount of, I kind of want, so, so one is that like, we get the Tachikomas having this whole debate and talking about the third self. Um, and one is like, I almost wish that this could like be broken out into separate ones where that gets raised as a question. Maybe some stuff is able to explore it a little bit. Then we get this answer of the satellite, but then it like would maybe immediately get complicated by the pause one being about like, ah, but is the ghost in the, the like skin or is it in the, the like brain case or what? Um, hmm. Like, some of this too is just this, like this pacing of it that it is not quite hitting for me. Um, even as I'm like excited about some of the ideas being developed here. Um, it's just this thing of like, there's this idea that is introduced in this episode that I find really interesting, which is the Tachi is talking through what is happening to their experience. And this idea of like having some sort of third self and, and having the, like talking about things further in this, um, like language of religion, which includes calling the major as their God, but also talking about like out of body experiences and things. Um, and then a lot of it kind of gets answered with satellite. A satellite. Um, yeah. In this way that like, when i start really thinking through the episode i get more excited about it again but i know like the first time that i watched this episode um i kind of felt like let down when i got to oh it's just a satellite in space um because i was excited about all the ideas being developed about this like this third self and you know developing a ghost and what does it mean to like have the collective and to like you know where is even their mind stored where is like you know all of the these questions like if they're like synchronizing then where is their even their like mind being stored in, in that synchronization process um and getting it all answered at the end of the episode felt like it it you have to do more work thinking again about all the stuff that was raised and how much that exactly answers it um and then yeah. I start feeling better about the episode but it it Again, there's just, like, fertile ground there that I wish was explored more, and that, like, you you just had more time to play with all of these elements. Um <laughs> And, like, maybe we could have gotten rid of some of that Saito stuff. I don't know. Make this a two-parter. <laughs> I would love a two-parter about the Tachikomas and their, you know, discussions of
1: self. Um Yeah. I, I would, I agree. yeah. I would love <laughs> to, like, just have second gig just, like, pause and descend into, like, a two or three-part, like... Philosophical meditation amongst the yeah. <laughs> that would be fantastic and just smack dab in the middle.
0: Um, um, one other thing about this episode is it reminded me a little bit of um, the like lore drop episode that we talk about that's the conversation in the net about the um, laughing man case in standalone complex. Oh yeah. Yeah, Um, This has like vibes of it as they're like all chatting. Like, I think it's interesting and thematically important for stuff that's going to come up even later in like the episodes that we're talking about that some of this like synchronizing process that we see is them talking. They go into like the space where it's like, you know, time is not flowing the same way because we're getting this representation, but they are representing like, them synchronizing their information as them having a conversation and talking about what they think is going on with the individual 11 case, um, as well as like their self. And I find it, I like bummed to my mic. I find it interesting that, um, this is how they're choosing to represent it because we're going to get stuff later on around like, how did you synchronize with him? Oh, I just talked to him. Like mm-hmm. we as yeah. human beings already have this method of like trying to synchronize our thinking, which is talking. Um, we're doing a podcast that it like involves to some degree. this. Um, it's like imperfect... right Yeah. We are currently synchronizing. Um, <laughs> ghost cybers is a podcast about you and me synchronizing our, our thoughts. Um, <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> um, hey, Hey, can you synchronize that information with me really quick? That was, yeah, that was pretty cool. Um, and then we put
0: it out so other people can listen to it and then they can synchronize our thoughts with us as well uh, I, in this scenario we are Kuse. <laughs>
1: Just to, <laughs> yeah so we' we're, we're, really we're, we're the hub cybermind mm-hmm. with the charismatic authority yeah um
0: just a blooming like tree of, of you know lines going out from our heads
1: yeah um, <laughs> you're like I think you've really... like you hit on something really important there, though, which is like one of the things, one of the themes that's emerging, like very much here. Um, but it, it's been, it's kind of been like being built to is this question of like the boundaries between consciousnesses and the interaction, like in the interaction of them. Um, I think it's it's not, like, coincidental that the Tachikomas, when they're synchronizing, are talking about, like, the individual 11 um, and, like, specifically talking about, oh, like, we're designed to be identical um, and we're synchronizing this information. Like, this synchronization is you know, the process by which we maintain our, um, our sameness. And yet like we're diverging and becoming individuals in spite of that. And then they like call out the individual 11 and they're like, oh yeah, they're all like, you know, ideologically committed to being individuals. Um, and like and, pursuing and yet, that like, goal, Yeah. And but yet they're like converging. all
0: in pursuing it. Yeah. They are converging and like, in having this mutual ideal of individualism and how to pursue it, um, they are like synchronizing into a weird collective, um, as well.
1: Yeah. And there's, so there's a foil set up, um, that I think is like fundamental. It, um, kind of provides like this fundamental grounding for, um, a lot of these other themes that we see happening. Um, Uh, about like um, individuality um, about ideology um, and about like the interaction of um, consciousness uh, as well Um, which you know we get playing out in uh, the Kuze stuff where I think the series will begin to ask like oh you know there's this danger of like when you have a cyberized or a digital consciousness, um, there's this danger of like infection um, or, you know, uh, contamination. Um, You know, someone hacks into your brain and uploads a virus like, Oh, they upload the 11 files and all of a sudden you're like a terrorist now. Um, But uh, the series is also kind of questioning, like, is that really so different? Is this something that is a technology, like, a new possibility and a new danger because of technology? Or is it something that's fundamental to the way consciousness works? Like, you know, by just talking to somebody or by reading a book, like, uh, even my non-digitized, like, brain is, is vulnerable all the time um, to phenomena into like ideas from outside like when anyone talks to you when i read anything like that goes into my consciousness um and like it's just in there <laughs> in the same way that like or maybe in a similar way that if someone just like uploaded a file into it um you know is this really so different uh i think ghost and shell does you know season one kind of like focuses on like oh yeah, it is different and that's really dangerous um, and let's think about like the implications of this. And then season two uh, or second gig seems to be asking, like, is it, is it actually really that different? Um, and Kuze is kind of like a center point for this um, where mm-hmm. people are literally like linking to his cyber brain and then like there's people who aren't cyberized who are just talking to him and like having a similar or the same like effect. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Um, this episode is, is doing, uh, a lot.
0: Yeah. Um, I think that's, I, I feel good about moving on. I do want to note here. Um, I feel like I've harped on the animation in second gig, uh, a, a fair amount but this is another one where i feel it where um i so like the tachikomas even in the original standalone complex um are definitely using cg animation um and it's a thing that i'm kind of aware of as like someone who's aware of how you animate things and the fact that uh, especially for mecha like cg got used very early on um because you want this like preserving the rigidity of the form more than you do with um like human models um you know cg is not going to get the way that like a mouth moves very well but can very easily animate like how a robotic body is moving around that is like made of steel that it is a rigid body um hmm. but i feel like like i am not positive how much of the tachikomas if it's all cg animated or like there are shots um in the original standalone complex of them getting blasted with bullets, where some of that definitely seems like it had to be hand animated because it would just be too hard to like, it would be easier to draw the Tachi being blasted away by bullets. Um, like, especially in one. where they just get completely shot down, um, where they're like no longer functioning, uh, than trying to do that with, with like CG animation. Um, mm-hmm. They are relying very heavily on it here, and the the way that they animate the tachikomas is, is like bouncing up and down as they talk. Um, and during this conversation, it just it gets excessive. Um, it's like it just doesn't work as well as like I never felt like oh the tachikomas feel really obviously like this is CG animation. Um, I felt it here in this episode, um, and again, I just like it's another thing that makes there are all these thematic things that are happening and like things that I, I get more frustrated, uh, frustrated with in second gig. But the fact that also like in various different ways, the animation quality seems to have taken a dip, um, is also a thing that just like further makes it harder for me to be like, I know people who are like second gig is better than standalone complex. And I, I don't agree at all. And some of it is just (laughs) the animation's not there. Um, and, I'm fine watching shows that are not always the best animated. Um, there are yeah. parts of shows that I loved and have talked up on this podcast that were not super well animated. Um, the first and complex is just exceptional animation. Um, and this one feels far more, um, I don't know. It, it feels like they're, they are not quite like playing to their strength in the same way anymore.
1: Yeah, um, it's, you're right. I mean, I often look at like I kind of tell myself like oh you know okay it's not bad it's different you know I try to have that perspective of like yeah well you know oh it's just like a different like what effect does this have for like the series and for like reading the series that you know it's animated this way at this time, like oh, there's some significance I can draw out of this. Like, I don't have to just, you know, I don't want to just say it's bad, but like, realistically, I mean, it's it's a difference in quality. Like, yeah, the um, I hope uh, I hope you'll post the like that still of togasa. <laughs> That I sent you.
0: Um, if I, I remember to in months, Twitter.
1: I will. Yeah, I guess so I could post times. it now.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, do a do a, you should, do a scheduled
1: tweet. You should um, now. You should post it now with like no explanation. <laughs> <laughs> um, if I didn't have like you know, I've been going so long without posting on Twitter, I don't know if I want to like break my streak. But I yeah, if it weren't for that, I would just I would just post it with no explanation. Um, and then, like, you know, in three months when the episode comes out, see if anyone, like, makes a connection. Um, but point being, like, it's not, if you just look at that still, like, come on, you know, um, it's not, it's not as detailed. (laughs) We'll just say, we'll just say that. Um, I think my last, like, thought on this episode Um, and I'll try to be like concise about it, but it goes back to one of the points that you were raising before with like, um, it's before, like it, in our last episode, it seemed like we're moving towards this, um, this idea of like, okay, the consciousness is something embodied and like the, the form that it's embodied in, uh, influences like you know the consciousness in this way that's inextricable like you can't separate mind and the body or whatever um the thing that's jarring about this and you you were like hinting at this earlier like this episode just like slams its foot in the ground and just goes like in the complete opposite direction um where the tachikomas are um You know, they say specifically, like, oh, humans' minds and bodies are already separate entities. They just don't know it yet. Um, And, like, a lot of this episode is um, playing with the idea of, like, the mind and body being separate. And how, oh, wait, not only is this, like, possible and seeming contradiction to, you know, what's been posited before, um, but it's, like, already the case. Um, and I think there's like, um, and of course, like, you know, we, we can read this with the Tachikomas are like saying this, this is part of their experience. This is why they're kind of like, you know, arguing this point. Um, but there's also hints of this that we've been getting, um, with like all of the portrayals of cyberspace, um, in second gig which are like you know frequent um, and extensive um though like sequences of um not just uh the major but like the touch comas and everyone else moving through cyberspace in like various avatars and forms um like we see this over and over again and we didn't really get any of that in uh and the first season and i do think like with these sequences the series is kind of hinting at like the this potentiality of human consciousness to like move out of the human body into the net um or into these like different types of spaces um and that this is like possibly like an evolutionary thing that is being realized um like it's being actualized but it's not being like it's not remarked on it i think that's kind of the point like it's happening but the humans like aren't discussing it or aware of it um mm-hmm. like as such um and so now we have these two ideas <laughs> um like happening uh you know in one hand we have like the embodied consciousness and on the other hand we have like all of a sudden we're presented with like, oh, you know, the um, the consciousness like migrating out of the body and, and moving like into, um, you know, moving freely through like the net or this other type of medium. Um, so, yeah, I just want to like throw that out there and say, okay, this is happening here. We're getting this um, in this episode as well. Yeah. So I guess we'll see what happens.
0: Um, we've talked a lot about this episode, but actually I have one more thing before we move on that I forgot about until just now, Hmm. which is, um, this is a a shorter thing, but I do think it's very interesting. The, so Dr. Asuda is trying to flee, um, and one, it's interesting that they talk and frame around like it's wrong to leave his, like with his research, um, that like this was a a state thing and it's wrong for him to, to take it. Um, but the and i'm not saying that like a profit motive is a a just and right thing um but what i do find interesting about it is this like awareness and the major in particular um comments on it of uh like she says i was trying or he was trying to find his freedom uh but now he's no longer free just like us um and this mm-hmm. like acknowledgement in this episode that's also talking about like All the stuff that you were just talking about around like consciousness and everything. Um, for the major to be like look, like in order to have this body, I'm a member of this like government organization. Um the state owns me and owns my body. Uh this is just the this is the state of things. Like (laughs) That's the price you pay. We wanted freedom and yeah, this is the price you pay. Like you want access to these things, you pay the price. Um, And there, there is this mix that, um, again, I think part of what is interesting about the major. um, One of the things that I find compelling about her character is like how deeply she identifies with her role. Um, Mm -hmm. And yet she has this awareness that she like had to give something up in order to, access this body to like access this power um and she she believes that like she made the right choice um i think right uh but she this is one where we get this little moment of um like little tinge of like "Mm, but i i was trying to be free i'm no longer free like yeah you know (laughs) absolutely um, um, which again is a, a thing that I think would be very interesting to develop with her character we will see if the series decides to develop that or if it decides to spend the last seven, seven episodes having her bite her thumb about how she's in love with Kuze or whatever um, we'll uh,
2: see
1: we'll see <laughs> <laughs> who knows <laughs> um, I hope it's the first one um, yeah, yeah um. I also hope it's the first one <laughs> <laughs> um but y- yeah for sure there's like the the two statements that she makes the first one which is like the like that ruthless again reminding me of the scene in like standalone comp in season one where she blows the guy's foot mm-hmm. off and he's like this is your know, police brutality and he's like and she's like oh yeah well if it's police brutality that's your fault
0: yeah um, <laughs> why and- would you
1: change the way that police work If you don't want to be brutalized by the police. (laughs) Um, so there's like that with, with like the, that's the price you pay. Like it's that type of line. And then the last line where she's like, he was trying to find his freedom, but now he's no longer free. Just like us. There's like the shot of her. And there's definitely like a poignancy to that where it's like, it's, it's like a tragic moment of her, like self-awareness. Um, so there there is like the those two aspects are um juxtaposed uh here for sure. Um Yeah. And I, I do think that like ties into the um the military stuff as well, about like, oh yeah, we have this back this background of her. She was like a soldier. Um, so she's like using her, you know, body in service of the state as like a combatant and You know I think that's the way that we can make that part of it make sense for here as well. Um so, uh episode sixteen. Sure. Um so
0: this is an individual episode. Uh translation of the Japanese title is The Fact of Being There. And then the English title is Another Chance. Um, so the prime minister calls a meeting of our cabinet to discuss the refugee situation during the meeting, several cabinet members attempt to distance themselves from the problem while top ranking military officials and local law enforcement voice their concern over the sudden influx of refugees to Dejima Island. When a recess is called, the prime minister meets with Aramaki and Kusanagi who alerted her to the existence of cyber brain hubs, um, in quotation marks in this synopsis. Uh, during a briefing with Aramaki, the prime minister reveals that her lack of clout is being taken advantage of by some cabinet, uh, some members of our cabinet and exploited for their own ends. Uh, it seems that some members of the cabinet are attempting to force Kayabuki out of the picture. And section nine is asked to look into the matter. Meanwhile, Ishikawa returns from the Korean uh, peninsula and briefs the rest of section nine on what he found out about Kusei's past. Um, and we get sort of another, Flashback sequence to some degree here, Uh, getting Mm. background on Kuze. So during the war, Kuze was in the ground self-defense army and was deployed to Korea shortly after the country unified to safeguard the North Territories from the retreating people's army. Uh, Kuze was assigned to a mechanized battalion and his unit saw action in defense of the refugee village along a river near the Korean-China border. Since Article Nine of the Japanese Constitution prevents Japanese military from deploying overseas in any official capacity, a press blackout has been in effect. Uh, but this worked against Kuzey's unit when r- rumors began to circulate that they were somehow involved in the slaughter of the refugees. One day, Kuzey. The synopsis is great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> one day, Kuzey exchanged his gun for a camera and went into the refugee camp near his base. And after a time, became. Uh, an accepted and well-liked member of the refugee community there, when the GSDA forces received orders to head home, Kuse disappeared, presumably heading uh, over the border into China. Ishikawa reports that the last known location for Kuse was in Taiwan, and the briefing concludes. Um, any comments about this synopsis, Connor?
1: Um, yeah. So, uh, just a couple like corrections as I as I see them. <laughs> yeah. Um, Kuze's unit is supposed to, like, I, I, I can't remember the exact tactical, like, Im- imperative, but yeah. they're doing, like, a flanking maneuver to, uh, to, like, attack, like, a fortified position or, uh, of, like, the people's army or whatever. On the way, yeah. they come across a refugee village that was not, like, that was not in their intel. Um, and as they like happen upon the village like the villagers are being massacred by like deserters from the people's army and at which yeah. point like kuze's unit goes and kills the deserters to save like the refugees but then like because of the press blackout i'm just filling in the filling in the gaps here for this synopsis like But then because of the press blackout, like no one, the, the truth of the, like massacre is not reported. Um, so like the locals and like the press begins to like theorize that Kuze's unit, which is like stationed there. Um, or like the Japanese were like perpetrated the massacre. Um, and so important. I think that's an important like correction to the synopsis. Um, yeah, and also like important for uh for the plot, um, and the reading of like Kuzé, I think.
0: Yeah. Um. We also get like some other key things that that do not come up here that, but that I think are kind of important for, um overall things so one there's a a comment from i think i kind of alluded to some of this coming up earlier but it's like brought up again and specifically confirmed here uh the major comments on kayabuki as aramaki's type uh which again is once again being figured as like maybe aramaki's a little too um like unguarded around her or a little too Mm -hmm. willing to to do what she asks um then uh we do get some more stuff around the japan miracle and the stuff going on with the nuclear empire so um this is where some of that stuff i mentioned before comes up um we do get one of the cabinet members being uh an absolute fucking creep kind of sexually harassing kayabuki um, yeah it's
1: funny that we had almost word for word the same note
2: yeah <laughs> on
0: the scene. male creeping on kayabuki and i said <laughs> guy just absolutely creeping on kayabuki <laughs> 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 um and uh also i didn't make a note about this but there there's also the um comment from the guy with the uh i think it's the guy who has the camera who kuse exchanges with um uh, makes the comment about like oh do you know where the term assassin comes from it's from you know hashish uh and like the you know this like group of people it's like history who, of the crusades yeah. yeah um which I, I think is... Uh, and then Kuzé being like, no, you're right. Here, take my gun. Give me your camera. I'm going to go in there. Um, So, which we we kind of get here. But I think, like, the tone of that is... There just says, one day, Kuzé exchanged his gun for a camera. And I... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's, like, important that that's around, like, specifically being challenged by the guy with the camera around, like, oh, you were just, like assassins and and murderers um yeah yeah the synopsis is like
1: after the massacre of the refugees like wait what (laughs) (laughs) last 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 sentence they were defending the refugee Mm -hmm. village and yeah now there's now they're massacred
0: yeah um so yeah those are some some updates on it um this is one that uh you might have more thoughts on this some of this is like my thoughts on it, like point more towards just other things that are going to be happening as the, the series progresses. Um, this is us getting, we, we do get various things that are, um, pointing to, or like p- perhaps confirming some of the stuff going ar- on with kuze and, um, the major, including a brief mention that he was making origami figures and giving them to the refugees. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. so we get origami coming up. My other big note here, um, is I, I think it is once again, significant. If we're talking about this idea of like, Usher sure in particular around Kuse, um, that the, his new face is not like noticeably different or like distinct. Like it is, it is more, um, defined and like chiseled and sculpture like, but it is still like roughly based on the face that he had. Um, as a soldier and so Hmm. again having this like mask face being a thing that is resembling the face that he had as a soldier uh which again like as someone who you know we if he is the boy that the major knew like obviously he had previously faces previous faces before that as like you know the face that we see in that whenever he got a, a you know the the like um one that we see in the memory shop like that chassis um you know presumably had at least like one other you know maybe the adult only see as a soldier or maybe had like intermediate intermediary ones um but it, if we're thinking about a sure i know that one being the one that's about like a samurai looking back at their their life um, in like the afterlife and and reflecting on it and it being around like battles that they had that we get this battle, and this is his face, and then this face now is like a death mask version of the face that he had back then. Mm. Um, so that's I, a good point. Again, like this is not to say like Ah uh, Kuse is really dead or something. Like it's not like a reveal like that. But I think like thematically it is interesting to continue to think about what's happening here. Is referring to like a, a battle that he had in the past. Um and this is a thing that might be happening within the Ashura now, um, and it's continuing to figure him as someone who is like, at least his old self is like dead in some way, so.
1: Yeah, um, no, that's a really. I, and I it's like
0: reflecting his former
1: life. Yeah, I hadn't um made that connection, but um, that's a very good point, especially since, I think twice, um. Maybe once in this episode, and then definitely in the next episode that we like so much. Um, <laughs> it's um, it is said like, uh, like the kid in the next episode is like Kuzé told me that he died a long time ago, yeah, um, and that like these are the last embers of his ghost or whatever, uh, and then I vaguely remember. I could pull up the script, but I'm just going to say maybe um, in episode 16, this episode, there's something I think there's a comment about like him like, oh, dying at this time or like dying as a result of this um, or like his self dying or, or something. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I definitely think um, I definitely think you're, you're very much on the mark there. Um, part of me too uh,
0: I just I just keep bringing this up because I feel like, um, I' have heard numerous other people talk about the series, and I feel like this connection just has not really been brought up. um, and I think it's actually a, a an interesting and like fruitful way to think about what's going on with Kuze, even as I still dislike some of what's going on with Kuze <laughs> or the way that yeah. yeah, the way that
1: they like figure their relationship there with yeah, yeah. There are
0: other ways to have the major be the foil to to be the foil that plays off against the like main character of a a sure or no, uh without her being a weird love interest thing.
1: <laughs> so, but but how but how else can I, a man, understand her motivations? Yeah. <laughs> 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 um. So yeah. Um. So my thing on this episode is um it well the hub cyberbrain concept um kind of tying into the point i was some of the points i was trying to make earlier but um this hub cyberbrain idea like involves uh, many people like linking to one person's cyberbrain and to some degree synchronizing with it or um n- if not, like, fully just, like, synchronizing data in the way that the Tachikomas do, um, like, inhabiting it and engaging with it, um, you know, to the degree that they're being influenced by it, um, getting, like, you know, thoughts and and whatever else. Um, this, like, first of all, it ties into, like, Goda's thing, um, which is that, you know, there's, like, the big plot lurking in the background about Goda, the evil sis, and Kuzé, um <laughs> With his, like... His kind of... Um, Goda's, like, uh, kind of fascistic, like... Uh, philosophy about, like, the cult of the hero and um, charismatic authority. Uh, there is, like this stuff is happening around Kuze where um, this is a point that's like emphasized over and over and over again in these episodes. Like, Oh, Kuze just has this something about him. People are drawn to him. Um, It's not purely mechanical because like, again, we see a few instances where people don't even have like cybernetics and they're, they're like drawn to him in the same way. Um, Although there's like, you know, Strongly implied to be a cybernetic, uh, um, like function behind it as well. Um, but anyway, so it's kind of like addressing this idea of charismatic authority, um, the way that people, all of the stuff that Goda is talking about, um, about the way that people uh, are observed to like gravitate. Um, to, like certain individuals um, and, and the way that like authority is established and the way it works. Um, and oh, what does this mean for like society? why does this happen to, to groups of people and societies, et etc? Um, but there's also like the other thing that I want to talk about is um, the way that like this hub cyber brain uh, functions as a kind of synchronization where individual humans who are not like again designed to to sync, um, are somehow like uh, compelled to do it um, like this drive of like individuals um, to synchronize um, and then in the case of the Tachikoma, is like the drive of like you know uh, a whole to like split apart um, And I think this is all tying into like um, some of the, um, Arthur Kessler ideas about um, holons that we discussed at length in um, our coverage of season one. I'm not going to recapitulate them all here. Um, uh, Go back and listen to season one. Um, Yeah. It's great. Um, But uh, basically this idea that like uh, humans, um, that like all beings are simultaneously part and whole, so, like, a human is, um, you know, a whole in the sense that, you know, you have one individual who has a wholeness about them. Um, but then, you know, they're also part of, like, humanity as such, or they're part of, like, a community, or they're part of um, a state. Um, and then, of course, on the higher scale, like, they're part of humanity. And then on the higher scale than that, um, humanity is part of, like, you know, All of life, or the entire, like the biosphere, the biosphere of the earth, and then the biosphere of the earth is part of all of life, yada, 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 Um, all the way up and all the way down. Um, And this is like the Tachikombas make specific reference to this when they say, like, oh, it's the holotic architecture of whatever. I can't remember what the um, exact language is. Um, But uh, point being like there's something happening here with um like the drive of holes to become um like parts uh so like the drive of like individuals to converge into like a hole um like you know the refugees wanting to converge uh, onto kuze um wanting to like there's some sort of drive to um, realize a collective like identity as you know refugees in order to do this political action um and you know kuzay is like the the mechanism that they do this by um but then at the same time you have the individualists um who are like you have this ideology that's all about splitting away um not being defined by like uh being assimilated into society, but you know, splitting and becoming uh this emphasis on becoming an individual, uh maintaining your integrity as um as an individual. So there's these kind of like opposite drives happening um that are being played with. Um and then of course again the Tachikoma is like splitting apart even as they're um they're designed to sink. Um and then this is happening like this is kind of the allegory that I was trying to explain earlier, where um, you have this rising up from, you know, um, not only like the case of specific individuals, um, but then groups of people. And then we have this happening with like Japan too. Um, and I think the series is doing something with like the idea of nationalism in this context. Um yeah where, like, Japan is um, constantly, like, and especially in these episodes, we're getting all this history about Japan being in these alliances, um, not only, like, part of UN joint operations, but in these, like, specific alliances with the United States, um, fictionalized and real. Um, and um, how there's this like again fictionalized and real um like consequence of japan being like subsumed um in these relationships um again like the nationalist idea of like oh we were powerless and we need to like um you know regain autonomy and blah 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 um so, again, this looming threat of Japan being subsumed into, like, co- into collectives, um, and then also, like, um, this desire of Japan to, like, or maybe certain figures in Japan um, to want to split away and, like, you know, retain some identity as, like, an individual unit um, as, J- as like, Japan as such. Um, so, anyway, long rant, <laughs> um, but... Uh, this is like the final point I have. Uh, I think this episode, like, is tying some of this together, um, and um, yeah. Uh, so, who knows if if they're gonna develop this further?
3: Yeah.
0: Um. Do you want to move on to the episode that I hate?
1: Uh. Yeah. Um, Okay. Okay. Episode 17. Um, It is a individual episode. uh, Japanese title, Mother and Child. Not a creepy title at all. Um, English title, uh, for some reason, is Red Data. Um, Yeah, I don't understand this. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, um, following Ishikawa's intelligence report, Kusanagi heads to Taiwan to investigate a lead on Kuze. She learns that Kuze's presence had a powerful effect on the refugees in Taiwan, and that people believe this has encouraged the formation of a smuggling ring for narcotics and explosives. Um, as she prepares to leave the police station, the, det- the detective discloses that her plane will not leave until tomorrow, giving Kusanagi some much-needed free time. While on the street, Kusanagi meets a street kid named Chai, with aspirations of making it big in the drug trade, Chai is already in trouble for stealing cocaine from a rival gang. Called to uh, help me with the pronunciation here.
0: Um, probably Xiao
1: Ji. Xiao Um, I, you, you know like more about um China, Chinese uh yeah. than I do. So um, um,
0: these do not have any sort of like tone markers, so I'm sure it could be. I can be completely off, but, um, generally the X sound is kind of a, like SH sound, but I, I often think of in My head as like, if you flipped it around to HS, but still kind of made a, a but it like it, you kind of hit the H hard at the beginning. Um, and then the J is kind of like a, a buzzing, almost ZJ sound. Um, and then so it'd be like, yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, so um, Chai is already in trouble for stealing cocaine from a rival gang called the Xiaoji, um, and reveals to Kusanagi that he and his friends intend to pressure mold the drugs into animal figurines for shipment overseas. Um, in fact, it seems like they've been doing that already, because yeah. um, he shows her all the pressure molded ostriches or whatever the fuck. Yeah. Um, at the end of the day, Kusanagi heads for her hotel, and Chai spends the night with her. Um, she like tells Just... him to yeah yeah um I'll, just I'll, 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 uh,
0: heads heads for their hotel and shai spends the night with her but Adon dawn yeah. and it's just like oh okay you skip over some like gross shit but uh, i guess i understand why
1: yeah this is this is the one where we're like we're aligned with like the wiki people with the wiki fandom <laughs> like we both like have have like agreed to <laughs> <laughs> like yeah um, oh, yeah what let, this part is let's this part is uh not so good um yeah uh, um, so
3: the this
0: wiki itself, if I rewrote this episode, is already um suggesting like a uh you know spends the night there's there's a certain like you know euphemistic reading there um you know just yeah uh very chastely is like hey i got this uh room with two beds you sleep on that bed i'm gonna sleep on this bed um that would be great (laughs) have a conversation um uh yeah watch some weird and creepy and
1: yeah um so um at dawn kusanagi discovers he has left um on her way to the airport kusanagi discovers the bathhouse key in her pocketbook um, because of some plot points that were not included in, in the synopsis, yeah. um, and follows it to its source to recover the remaining cocaine from the locker the there. You know, the remaining cocaine. <laughs> um, deducing that Chai has gone to the Huanlong Yakuza headquarters, uh, Kusanagi storms the building, um, catching both the Xiaozhu and the three Yakuza heads off guard. Uh, with two separate weapons pointed at the Yakuza heads and the Xiaoji, um Kusanagi discloses her terms. In exchange for Chai's safety and a promise from the Yakuza to be very good boys and not retaliate against the refugees after she's gone, <laughs> um, she, she will hand over the Shaojiu's stolen cocaine. Um, the Yakuza agree to her terms and force the Shaojiu gang to let Chai and the Major uh, leave the building unharmed. Um, at the airport, Kusanagi suggests that, uh, Chai create a future for himself rather than, uh, getting caught up and getting killed in the pointless gang war. Yeah. Um. So, this probably not much to talk about here. you want to just move on to the next episode?
0: Um. <laughs> sh- sure. Let's just move. <laughs> um. Uh, I don't like I I buy the major as a bad person. Um, I don't think that what's happening this episode one is like I don't. Well, do you want to say people... Do you want to say what happens yeah. first? So, okay. let, yeah. Let me let me explain some of that. So this stuff starts early on before we get to like the actual scene in question. Um, when Major Kusanagi first saves chai uh there's like a a scene very early on where chai is just like leering at her breast because um the major always wears like kind of sexy revealing outfits uh this is just a thing about her we talked about it when we were talking about standalone complex um this is uh, honestly one of her more like dressed down just like i'm wearing a normal person outfit uh but still you know has some cleavage out and chai's just like her at like her.
1: tennis shirt
0: yeah or whatever. Um, and and this is, like, this is already, like, anime fan service in a way that I, I don't want to say that standalone complex never does fan service with the major, uh, but feels like it's, like, almost kind of out of a different anime to, like, have, like, oh, here's the, the plucky boy character leering at the older woman. That's, like, kind of a shown intro but not something that I associate with standalone complex um standalone complex is like here's a shot of her getting out of the Tachikoma where you can see her ass that's how you know standalone complex handles the stuff which there's like complexity around and we talk about it some with uh, previous season i will once again point people to um the major's body uh or epi- er, essays uh that were were published um in women write about comics it was a 10 part series and the final part is about second gig. So I'll probably link to that one. Cause it, it goes into this somewhat. Um, I just think it's, can be an interesting read for people if they're trying to think through stuff. Uh, but you know, there, there are multiple parts, so I'll probably link to and both I, of the standalone complex ones. I will um, say
1: just as a quick, like this part is kind of like, there's a couple levels that make sense on not only like, yeah. Oh, it's a young boy. Like but also like he's fascinated by her body because he's like obsessed with full prosthetic prosthetic bodies. Yeah. So it's like the convergence of that like and, you know, adolescent like boy. Yeah. Such and and, and that. So Yeah. Um, this and part, the, the way that they're handling okay. it
0: could still probably be a little bit better and it's sort of playing into tropes, but like if they develop stuff more interestingly, like I would be more willing just to just be like, yeah, that's a shot that happens. Here's some themes that are developing around it. Like we've done multiple times. Let's talk about some of the themes of sexuality that are happening here. Even as like, we think that the way that some of the stuff gets handled in Ava um, is less well done and a little bit more like leering or gross than some of the other stuff. Like we've had these conversations. Um, So this happens. Then there's the part where they go to the hotel for the night um and the like receptionist seems kind of suspicious um and i forget exactly how chai is referring to the major throughout it uh, but it is like more in this casual way that you wouldn't talk to your mom um and then the major's like or i i think i forget if like the major says something about like being in the mom or if chai specifically pulls it out as like it's
1: so he's like she's so young
0: so like uh she doesn't let me call me mother or call her mother in public because like you know that would make her seem too old or something it's you know
1: so it's chai like referring to her in this way that's like not your mother and then she's like i don't let him call me mother and like come like come like whatever um, you know, come dear or, or something like that, you know? Yeah. But it's um, like her who says the mother comment.
0: Yeah. Let me actually see if I can like specifically find this. Um, yeah. So the, there's some conversation here. Um, oh, Chai's like platinum G sister. Who the hell are you anyway? Um, modoko Hmm clerk i appreciate you waiting ma'am your key moto code thank you miss this is my son but i don't allow him to call me mother in public come along dear and then shy mm-hmm. says it's because my mom's so young um so yeah that that comes up which um you know again it is like <coughs> getting into like some weird territory again um but then oh. this is the part that I, I just am like, I wrote in the notes, like the major is naked. What the fuck are you doing? Which part of this is like <laughs> major Kusanagi, what the fuck are you doing? And also like, what are the people making this show doing? Um, mm-hmm. so they're in the, the hotel room and like Chai's watching a thing about, um, ostriches on TV. And like, let me see if I can He's pull watching up. Animal Planet, basically. Yeah. um, yeah they're they're talking about how ostriches are now like uh solely raised as food for for humans and they're like ostriches have unique child-rearing systems the strongest female of the flock will protect her own chick um and then the motoko comes out um and is just completely naked except for like the tiniest pair of panties and uh <laughs> like a towel draped around so it's just like barely covering your breasts um what the fuck is happening here? Um, and then they have a little bit of a conversation. Um, and, you know, Chai is obviously like a little like, oh my God, there's a, like, she's naked. Um, and then they go to bed and the major just gets into bed naked next to him. Um, even takes off the the towel as she gets into bed. Um, and then he asks this question about, like, can you have sex when you're fully prosthetic? And she turns around and says, "Care to find out?" And then he, like, you know, doesn't do anything. Basically, um, He's like I'll pass or something. Yeah. Um. I forget if he if he specifically says anything or if he just kind of like gets nervous and doesn't do anything. But um, yeah. <laughs> it's just it's fucking wild. It's like. Maybe I will read, I pulled it up a little bit just to, to like double check the, the stuff. And also I sometimes like to hold on to these and like throw them into the little note stuff that I do, um, when I know that I'm referencing something. Um, but yeah, maybe, maybe I will read a little bit here, um, from the, this essay on the major's body. Um, so here, here's what she says as her complex reading. Um, the major is judged as boy to possess the emotional intelligence and stamina to locate healthful desires. If challenged, she sees his m- kismo and the integrity of his childhood both holding fast, and offers uh, one the chance to win big at the expense of the other. Confronted with this daunting prospect, Chai finds his true self. He's not ready to be an adult, and he's not locked in a pre-made large guy destiny. In crisis, we find clarity. This trashing of boundaries allows Chai to reorient reorient himself assert himself find some new rules which suit him better and leads directly towards the hopeful ending of the episode in which the major removes him from smuggled narcotics trading the points uh um or removes himself from smuggled narcotics training and points him towards his own future her body is the vessel for his crisis diversion um mm. so this is like doing like a, a as good of a faith reading here um yeah. But then after this says, um, you know, that said, I'm not at all grateful that this leap of faith uh, is asked of me, the the leap of faith to do this good faith reading. I don't believe uh, would she rape him if it was easy is a reason, a responsible question to spring upon your untested audience and requiring a child to say no is not a healthy way to define the wrongness of an adult imposing intercourse. Uh, This reading of the scene leans towards the suggestion that saying no is Uh, no is a moral imperative boy. If this scene happens to you, it is not your fault. Women should not sleep with boys. Um, and so then goes into like, here's this more crass reading. Um, you know, the crass reading is that the major does not discriminate by age when it comes to sexual partners and acceptance of the possibility that she was willing to experience intercourse with this boy. To me, and I hope to you, this uh, describes a willingness to rape. Modern-day Japanese ordinances, uh, ordinances would consider sexual congress between an adult and a young teenager indecent and punishable. Um, I do not like this reading. Um, and so, you know, basically saying, like, there there is this good... Faith reading, but also what production, ig what like the makers of these the shows doing, um, is having this like good faith reading that necessitates, even if you are doing that, a certain amount of like w- what is being put out here is a an approach or a thought where it is chai's moral imperative to say no to the major so that he can like find his true self um and that perhaps she is acting in like some confidence that he will make the right choice um but this is still like this is a this is bad (laughs) this is not like a good scenario for them to have created um and the 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 doing that good faith reading requires you to like make leaps of faith that we should not have to make as an audience um, in reading the scene. Um, And the other option being the major is just like a terrible person is like, I'm also, I don't like that because we already know this. She like is willing to just murder people and everything. Like we don't need to bring willingness to rape in to like further show how like she's, um like fully identifying with the system in a way where she is like a bad person
1: perpetrating um, this violence without yeah like remorse <laughs> like
0: we we can we can talk about these things in ways that the series has already been like very um like has been talking about in a in a really like clear way uh in a, in a way that is like like being willing to like be the boot of the state is also still just a terrible thing to be. And I, I don't like the use of like bringing in the trope of, um, like sexual abuse or rape just to like further show how someone is bad. Um, there's stuff that I think can engage with those topics. Like people can go back and listen to our Rutena episodes. Um. Mm-hmm. And those are ones where we talk about those things as like key themes that it is exploring. Um, I don't feel like this is like bringing it in and in a way to explore it if that's also what it's doing. So um, this is just a thing where like I I really hate this episode um, and specifically this part happening in it. Um, like there's other stuff in this. I love yakuza stuff. I like the yakuza guys. Um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Um, I don't. This is just. Like this scene is just so like, oh, it's the gross bad parts of anime here, I guess. Um, suddenly, in a way that like this show hasn't really done before. Um, yeah, but yeah. I, I will uh, let you respond, but.
1: <laughs> well, <clears throat> yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I agree. Um, I think I am. I am grateful that you brought in. Um, that essay and i'm grateful for the reading that is like presented there um because i i think that like the we can just call it the good faith reading um i think that reading does have like a lot of legitimacy Um, yeah i think that is what the
0: creators of the show are intending
1: yeah you know like and yeah yeah and like again you know intended or not like the show has like it it, now that i'm like you know processing this reading and thinking about it the episode does have like a lot of elements that divorced from this reading don't really seem to make much sense um but then like like when you put it all together with this reading like suddenly make a lot of sense um specifically like well so i mean first of all our understanding of the major's character where like her ability to like you know intuit motivations and um like influence or manipulate people because even like on either on either count, like manipulation is at hand. Um but like her ability to like be in control of this situation and to know exactly like if her desired outcome is for like this kid to have these realizations, like understand that he's a child, and like blah blah blah, um you know, it's feasible that the the major would <laughs> like if this is the only path to achieve that somehow, um, the major would, you know, would understand that and then carry it out. Um, there's the comment that she makes, like the conversation they're having right before this about, um, his body, like how he's desiring a fully cyberized body. And she says specifically like, you're too young or something to that effect. Um, Which is like, you know, in one minute she's saying, you're too young. And then in the next minute she's like, hey, let's have sex. Um, I think that could go to reading number two, where it's just like rape and pedophilia. Um, But also, like, in the the context of reading number one, like, you know, it makes sense that, you know, she is, like, concerned with his youth and with, like... His ability um, to like conceive of his own identity and to um, and like the integrity of his body. Um, and then like the scene after, where he's like rummaging through her things and you know, taking her stuff or whatever, takes yeah. her ID card and she's like aware. it it pans over and she's like awake and letting him do it. um, Which like causes a problem for her later. Um, But basically that scene being like, oh yeah, she's like the way that scene is set up is, you know, he's like robbing her. And as the viewer, we're like, well, that makes no sense. Like, you know, how can a child like get away with robbing the major? Like that would never happen um, she would be like aware um and then it pans over and it's like, yeah, well, she is aware um which I think like is kind of reaffirming like she is like has some control and intentionality over like this whole situation um yeah. that is not just like a haphazard like it, it kind of reframes the like proposition of like let's have sex as like, you know, when it's bookended by these two scenes, uh, I think, it, and I'm sure the essay, like, makes this argument better, <laughs> uh, already, but when it's bookended by these two scenes, it recontextualizes it and you get these pieces fitting together in a way that, like, it, like, it does make sense. But even so, it's so extreme.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: You know, like, not only on production IG's side, um, but also like for the major to like use this tactic. <laughs> um, yeah. Even to like in the pursuit of like, you know, uh, on this reading, what we're, you know, presupposing are good ends. Like it's so extreme. Like, yeah. Even like she's still a bad person, you know, even if yeah. like, yeah. <laughs>
0: Um, and, it, like, it, and it still necessitates us to believe that there is a scenario in which like doing these actions, which are are actions that she should not be doing. Well, because she's fully in control of the situation now, it's fine. Like, yeah,
1: that that is and she, also, because she knows that it's going to result in something good. Like,
0: yeah, um, it's still like, yeah,
1: yeah, um,
0: um, I, I don't like before. Like, I don't know exactly how much more we want to talk about this specific scene i do want to say that unfortunately there's stuff that's going to happen in the last seven episodes that i talk about where i am going to have to talk about this again oh, <laughs> um, okay i'm going to have to talk again and in preparation for that i i also want to like note something this is something that comes up in the essay as well but something that i had before i even read um that major's body epi- uh, essay Uh, by Claire Napier, um, that I had noticed in this series, which is that, um, despite the fact that the major is in many ways figured as like, you know, we see her in like seemingly, um, lesbian or, or, you know, like we see her in this relationship with these two other women. Um, and though, like, you know, I called out when we saw her in the, uh last episodes we discussed you know in the last episode of this podcast um we we saw like one of her girlfriends but there's also that scene uh in the first season where she's like in bed with them um notably in both of like in that scene instead of doing anything with them she just goes to work um also notably like in the scene where um This girl's basically saying, like, hey, let's call up our other friend and, like, have a fun time. Uh, She's also like, no, I'm going to go to the memory place where I'm going to think about, like, the first boy that I ever loved. Um, And so despite the fact that this series is also comparing her body to the body of a sex worker, um, we are continually getting a, a version of Major Kusanagi, who is a major... Uh, version of major Kusanagi who does not have sex, um, even when like being portrayed in like romantic or like whatever queer relationships um, is actively choosing not to have sex is now using this and perhaps being aware that he's not going to like take her up on it or whatever or having a plan if he did. Um, You know, this is also a scene of her not having sex. Mm -hmm all of this stuff is stuff that is going to like tie into something that's going to happen later on. And it's another thing that makes me extremely mad about second gig. Um, Is that like this interaction is an important interaction for the arc overall and not just a gross character moment that happens in an episode. Um, And that this is another thing that like, you know, we can maybe talk about this more now, or we can, we can wait until we get to the end of the series and have to talk about all of this stuff again so um not yeah, to the same degree it, but
1: yeah we we can wait um, yeah i think the the one thing that i um it, you know in the grand scheme of things it probably doesn't really make it it doesn't change any of like what we just discussed um but i will say like i don't think um To to make like the first reading, I think there's enough there. Whether we like read into intentionality or like or we don't, and we just like you know look at the episode. I don't think like it requires too much faith to like posit that reading or or subscribe to it um, because there's plenty there right like yeah to make the second reading you have to ignore stuff yeah um like so i, I don't think the reading itself like you don't have to stretch anything or, or like leap for it um so uh, you know I, I will say that um yeah. other, like, there's th- other than be, in like, the
0: space of like general morality that like you as an audience uh, is meant to invest in like Uh, again, I think a, a key thing that that essay articulates and that it is important to me is that um, that reading still necessitates that, like, it is thus important for Chai to be the one who makes the choice to say no, and that is where it gets into like very gross and bad territory. Still, um, like, none of that is like a leap of of narrative logic, and I yeah. I think that's how this like gets made and why people wrote it this way um but in terms of like an actual message to be sending um that is relating to topics around like rape and pedophilia and child abuse and things um having it hinge on chai saying no is him like getting this you know sense of clarity about himself yes yeah um it like it is still a portrayal of him being put into a situation that he never should have been put into. Um, mm. So yeah. Like narratively uh, it's not a leap, but, but in terms of like what we are meant to accept as like the, the part that is a leap is that like, I still cannot accept this as like, well this, you know, this is a, a way to like get him to awaken
1: to his self and,
0: you know, have this good outcome like it still like teints that interaction yeah um, for this
1: proposition to even be like a possibility yeah um, yeah um, yeah so my final note um, <laughs> um, and then uh, a- episode 18
0: Um, I, I guess the, the one we kind of i you to it, but I just want to pull out here. Um, there is some other stuff that is happening here. And um, I think the big one that I, I already addressed, but in that com- conversation that happens in the hotel room before, you know, they go to bed um, is the how did you synchronize your thoughts with his, if you're not cyberized and he's just like, you just had to talk to him, um, which is, we already talked into detail, but I just want to like note that that idea, which is I think an idea that's being explored and is sort of explicitly stated here, um, and and, and it is an interesting idea, is like situated in all of the stuff that we are <laughs> we are talking about, uh, that is, um, you know, gross. So um, yeah, um, <laughs> truly, so, uh, ap- episode seventeen is a land of contrasts.
1: <laughs> cur- yeah, a cur- cursed episode. Yeah. Um, well, the other thing that, um, I-, I actually think it's worth bringing up is, um, the fact that, like, uh, Chai, like, wants this cyberized body. Um, yeah. And I think that, like, in addition to tying into all the gross stuff <laughs> that we're talking about, um, also kind of has, like, this aspect of, like, bodily autonomy and, like, ethics to it. Um, where, like, Kusnagi's trying to, like, dissuade him um, of, like, oh, you're too young to, like, you know, you like to know enough. Like, you're, you're too young to make that decision type of thing. Um, and there's this, like, question hovering in the background over, like, you know, someone especially in this instance, like a child, but like wanting to, um, change their body or have like a different kind of body. Um, I don't know how far we want to go with this. Um, yeah, but Um, there's like, there's, there's stuff around that too.
0: Yeah. Which I think also ties into the backstory we got of Kusanagi and Kusei. Um, Mm -hmm. and like the, you know, to, to what degree did major Kusanagi have a choice in getting her body, Um, And then also her kind of trying to convince Kuzé to do it. Um, Mm -hmm. And it was under a different circumstance where like, you know, his left arm wasn't paralyzed, but most of his body was. Um, So that's very different than like, oh, I'm like running around the streets of Taiwan. (laughs) Um, But it, I think some of that stuff is also getting like played against that other episode that I don't like. So, (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. And like, again, stuff that is happening in, in multiple episodes here, uh, that there's a thing that's going to come up and I'm going to rant about it next time. So everyone can look
1: forward to that. (laughs) All right. Um, Um, really not getting my hopes up for this, this, uh, next set of episodes. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> I feel like there's going to be a lot that you are going to enjoy. Um, there's still going to be a part I'm going to be mad about. Um, and it's mm. because of how it ties into all of this other stuff. Um, episode 18. Yep. Let's do it. Yeah. So from one of my least favorite episode, probably my least favorite. I I do actually like, or I hate this one more than um, the, the, the memory shop one even though there's also stuff in the memory shop one that is bad there's a lot more of it that w- just works for me than this one um even as i i hate its placement within the series and what it means for the major so uh but episode 18 this might be one of my favorite episode it's definitely i think my favorite episode in all of second gig um and it's just a good episode in general some of this is that i love wings of desire a lot but um And this is this is
1: Yeah, you had a whole podcast episode on that. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, people can listen to our Wings of Desire episode of Ornate Stairwells by going to export odd.io slash ornate stairwells. I'm just gonna let
1: you take you know I'm just gonna let you take this one.
0: Yeah. Um You, you got it. Part of why I like this one is that it feels like it could be a first season episode so easily to me where it's a case Mm. of the week. Uh, We get a little bit about, like, Bato. I'll do the synopsis. Um, (laughs) So, this is a individual episode. Uh, The Japanese title is Angel's Poem. And then the uh, English one is Transparent. That's me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That was my little joke.
3: Mm.
0: Get it? Because I'm a parent who's trans. Um, It's got a space in there. Yeah. Yeah. Um so anyway I didn't get it at first
1: but but when you <laughs> explained it that made it really funny
0: yeah, uh, a patient undergoing a routine medical procedure unexpectedly takes a turn for the worse, and the medical staff mounts a frantic effort to save him. During the operation, it becomes necessary for the doctor in charge of the operation to access the man's external memories. At which point, he identifies his patient as the terrorist Angel uh, Angels Feathers, one of the world's most wanted men. Um, this is this is a little weird because we get some stuff before it, before we like get this little explanation of why everything's happening but um yeah this this was part of it anyway after struggling over whether to protect dr patient confidentiality or inform the police of his discovery uh the doctor finally opts to do the latter uh, the information he gives the police sparks a multinational counterterrorism operation with several nations uh sending members of their best special forces teams which of course includes bato and major kusanagi Um, during the briefing in berlin uh, this is where they like learn all the stuff that we just talked about with angels feathers and the doctor Uh, during the briefing in berlin they learned that angels feathers uh, uses high explosive bombs on glass fronted high-rise buildings to kill his targets uh, and acquired his nickname from the thousands of glass shards that rained down as a result of these explosions they kind of say like kill his targets but he he's kind of just a, a terrorist who's like he does this because it will just kill a bunch of people in the street. The the glass mm-hmm. raining down. Um, this is like specifically his intention. Um, it's not like necessarily there's a bunch of specific people he's trying to kill. He's just getting these like very high death terrorist attacks. Um, it would be higher than just like doing a normal bombing. Um, anyway. Uh, The man in charge of the briefing explains that they have reason to believe Angel's Feathers will stop in Berlin before proceeding to his next target. Um, It's not here in the synopsis, but um, basically they they've noticed from like records that the, the person they believe to be the terrorist does stop in Berlin for uh, like a couple nights, I think uh, before flying to wherever the, the summit's going to be held. Yeah. this is important because it means they can do lots of homages to Wings of Desire, where Bato stands on the angel statue in Berlin. <laughs> um, anyway, while staked out on a cold night, uh, Bato oversees a blind girl named Teresia searching for her father. Um, all of this is like, we don't learn that she's blind until later in the episode. We don't learn that she's searching his father um, until Bato follows her and like reads her journal and... Um, goes and listens to her like audio email email yeah yeah um anyway our father turns out to be angel's feathers um we get more homages to wings of desire when he's reading the uh kind of scratchy like hard to read diary um where she's talking about her father coming and giving her a gift um and it, like lining up with stuff before these attacks um and then also getting this thing of she's supposed to ask, like, what is the angel going to do or whatever? I forget the exact phrasing. Um, and then he says, like, something about raining his feathers feathers down. It's, like, way too obvious for... <laughs> yeah. I feel like you need a slightly better, um, like, Fast secret word. catchphrase thing. But anyway... Um, And so, yeah, his regular trips to Berlin were to visit her. Um, and Kusanagi, uh, this is also not noted here, hacked into Bato's, uh, like vision system to, to track him because he wasn't at his normal post. Um, and so also meets up with Bato as they go to the church, uh, that is the, the meeting place and then apprehend, um, the, the terrorist angels feathers. Um, in the church and as they are like you know f- like fully taking him into custody uh teresia comes in and uh this is when they realize that she's blind and can't see them and is like you know papa papa are you there um basically and then uh <laughs> You know, Bato's like, "No, your father's arrested." Yeah, (laughs) Um, does the little catchphrase, and and Bato does the like the angel. The angel is, uh, which is like the start of it, and then is like is not planning to go anywhere. Um, So, and kind of reveal this. This is just an episode that, like, (laughs) there's not a ton here that is developing on the overall plot, but I love this episode. It's such a great like return to form for me of standalone complex of like oh we we're getting a nice episode here that is like here's the case of the week we're developing these themes around bato that we talked about in the previous episodes but that haven't really come up here as like the one who is most struggling with like his human side and and then like what his job asks of him um mm. you know he like he must confront in this moment of like the last thing that the, the man said to Bato before major Kusanagi, like put the, you know, thing on his neck that presumably like completely incapacitates him. So he can't like move or talk, um, was like, just give her the gift. And, and Bato could be like, because he changes out bodies, could just be like ah yes i'm your your father like let me give you this let me preserve the illusion but instead has to like admit that no i'm just like a cop who's arresting your dad um Mm. so yeah
1: yeah Um, uh (laughs) you don't have a lot of notes here
0: (laughs) but i love this episode
1: (laughs) yeah and there is a tenderness like i was joking about it when you were doing the synopsis about like how bato responds but there definitely is like a tenderness in his response Um, going along with what you're saying. Like, I think it's, you know, a poignant moment where he, he really does struggle with it. Um, Yeah. Um, I think for, for me, well, I'll I'll let you go first.
0: Well, um, I'll I'll let you talk a little bit. I don't know if you've seen Wings of Desire, but I I definitely think about it a lot with this, even though this is, in many ways, very different from Wings of Desire. There's a lot of homages and I think there's some thematic stuff that's interesting, but, um,
1: I saw it like a very, very, very long time ago. Yeah. Um, too long ago to like say anything meaningful (laughs) about the connection. You Um, should rewatch it and listen to the episode of my podcast. Yeah, I, I need to, it's, it's on my list. Um, but, uh, I think, um, and I don't know. Maybe you can tell me more about about this um, in connection with Wings of Desire. But um, one of the big themes of this episode for me is um, Christianity. Um, like it's so. It's set in like Europe, um, in Berlin. Um, a lot is like made of the. Uh, the city itself, the landscape, how it's been rebuilt, destroyed and rebuilt um, in the various world wars. Uh, So we get a lot of, like, um, a lot of shots of this city. um, Pans, like, through the city, looking at buildings, looking at the skyline. Um, The episode really dwells, like, a lot on uh, Berlin itself. um, And part of that is, like, The presence of these churches Um, so you know Berlin as like you know uh, a city in a traditionally Christian country um, or like Europe associated with Christianity Um, and then having like you know these churches which are like um, either you know you can read as like remnants of a Christian past or like um, you know, Christianity surviving um and, and continuing to have a presence somehow. Um I think there is like a dual reading um happening there. Um and then you have um the terrorist Angel's Feathers, um, whose real name is uh Angelica, um Super Dark Regrets Crossover here. Um and, um, so it, you know, angel and angel, obviously. Um, then you have the angel statue that, um, Bato is like, you know, stands upon, um, several times. I think that's where he's like posted for the operation. Um, and then like, you know, the wings of desire connection of like being invisible, um, you know, somehow like them being connected with um with angels um so you have all that stuff um i don't know exactly what to make of it um but i do think it ties into um like the notion of um like political action um like political violence um and like justice um it's pointed out early in the episode that angel's feathers like does these terrorist attacks because he um he objects to like the world being dominated by um yeah these you know yeah. like like five countries or whatever 10 countries
0: yeah
1: um it kind of like a i can't remember what the uh what they call it but like um or or what the institution is but um basically this regime of dominance um of all these most developed nations over the entire world um so he's doing these terrorist attacks because he objects to this unjust um you know political regime um and then you know of course he's killing a bunch of innocent people um in the uh in the process um but there's these, like, resonances of his name being, you know, having the root of Angel, um, his real name and his nickname, um, and then Bato confronting him and being, like, um, th- there's this pivotal moment when he's apprehended, he goes to the church, and he, like, he's not aware that he's, and he, he's going to be apprehended, and he, like, starts praying at the church, um, you know, seemingly confirming that he is, like, religious and a Christian, um, And then he's apprehended and Bato's like, how dare you, like, you know, pray um, and, like, have any notion of um, righteousness uh, when you, like, have killed all these people. Um, I think there's a way we can tie this stuff into, like, and I think maybe this is kind of happening, um, questions about, like, morality uh, terrorism, political action that are happening elsewhere, uh, including in the next episode.
0: Yeah. Um, so um, I guess I'll talk a little bit about Wings of Desire. Again, people can go and listen to um, the Arnate Servals episode about it for for a lot more going into it. But just like a, a sort of quick summation of um, that film. So the... F- Wings of Desire itself, I think it is, um, despite using a lot of religious, um, imagery it is less interested in the topic of religion specifically than there was a sequel far away so close, which I think it is a little bit more, um, religiously focused, but my read of this episode is actually more towards the Wings of Desire, um, aspects, which, so, so the basic plot of Wings of Desire is, um the main character who's played by Bruno Gantz um, is uh, this angel where I I forget the I, he has a name. Like I, so the other one who's um, Otto Zander is Casiel I think, but I forget the name of Bruno Gantz's um, like the angel that he's playing. Um, but yeah, um, Oh, Damiel is. I, I ended up looking it up, um, and so they are two angels who are, are in Bo- Berlin, and this is um the Berlin that was divided by the that we uh the Berlin Wall. Um, this film was made in 1987. And the way I read it is, is in some ways this like meditation about um it is being made with this assumption that the wall uh will never fall or that it will be a very long time until like this wall falls. Um, and so it's tying in a lot of, um, imagery of like what the angels are doing is they're going around and listening to the thoughts of these humans. And so we'll, we'll get these like monologues of what, um, just a person on the train is thinking. Um, and sort of, uh, it's in this like somewhat poetic language. Um, and it is often kind of like things that are troubling them, um, and then the the angels will like rest a hand on the person or something to like provide this like, um, comfort. But this comfort that is like not not like fixing anything, right? Um, and it's not like a it's tangible. Like a, it's comfort. like
1: anesthetic.
0: We don't even really see the people reacting to it. Um, which I think is an interesting part too. It's not like the person seems comforted by it. Uh, we just sort of get the angels like listening and, and, um, at least wanting to comfort and do gestures gestures towards comfort. And yet, um, they are invisible and and no one is aware that they are there. Um, okay. And, uh, we get some conversation about how like they are supposed to like note the thoughts uh, of people and like basically relay it up to God. Um, and, like, they, they almost have this, like, recording purpose, uh, which also gets played off of, like, there's lots of scenes of them in libraries. Um, and this idea of, like, containing and, like, maintaining knowledge. Um, I read the the film as a, a meditation on, um, instead of doing a war epic, doing a peace epic. And what does it mean to um, try and make a, a film about, like, the struggles of peacetime rather than, like, the struggles of war? Um in this like weird, like cold war is kind of falling to just like, this is the state of things, especially that time it was being made. Um, and what develops throughout it is that essentially, um, essentially Bruno Ganz's character falls in love with this trapeze artist, um, who's played by Solveig Martín, and, um, ends up choosing to become a human so that he can experience the sensory pleasures of humanity. Um, a lot of my read on it, Kind of relates to this like The Berlin Wall is a thing that is like fundamentally Dividing um, uh, Berlin And it's also kind of Thinking about like the way that, that human beings Are divided and um, this person who is like observing these divisions and is like trying to extend comfort, um, choosing to become a human, even if being a human means that he is more fundamentally divided from other people, because it also allows him to like attempt the joy of trying to connect with someone. Um, and, and like trying, like that love is this thing that is like attempting to, um, extend over the borders of like, uh, that, that are between people and, and like, trying to um, find a way to, like, communicate and connect with someone, even though, like, human beings are fundamentally divided. Uh, it's basically like Evangelion,
1: As we discussed in our Evangelion episodes. Yeah, it's
0: it, it's Evangelion, but better. Um, and so that's why, like, my read of this and and why this works so well is because... This is then taking those themes and it is applying it to like, and specifically around Bato, who's the one who, like, is the like, Bato almost looks like he could be played by Bruno Gantz. Um, like, if I could do like, do a dream casting, I would do like Bruno Gantz from around the 80s for Bato, I think it would work. <laughs> um, but specifically around Bato and like Bato's desire to not be like just this boot of the state right Mm -hmm. um that we kind of see throughout him and his like in contrast to bruno gans's character um bato does not choose to step out from being the like fully step out from being the invisible like angel who is observing these things and uh doing his job which in this case is to like bring this terrorist to to quote unquote justice um he does not actually do this thing that would like perhaps try to fully connect with this girl. Um, he has to like, once again, kind of sacrifice that. And so I I think wings of desire is this film that is like meditating on, on, um, humanity and we're we're getting it like playing in this way with, uh, with Bato and like Bato having to confront like the ways that the, his position in section nine, uh dehumanizes him even as he might still like firmly believe that this terrorist needs to be put to justice he is like forced to confront that also this terrorist loves a little girl who is his daughter and that like this little girl is in like in distress and like now. Yeah, um and like and, believes in
1: god and has yeah. like some higher faith that like bato doesn't have
0: yeah um and that like bato can perhaps justify to himself like well but this man deserves to be put away and like it's really him who is like hurting his daughter uh but still in that moment like has to come face to face with her and like see her sadness at like his role in this mm-hmm. um even if he like will still believe himself to be just in the end um which i you know i think bato's still like bato's not next episode being like i'm kind of done being a soldier because of, or you know being a a cop because of like what i just saw it's like <laughs> i i don't think this is a scenario um figured at all as like something that would like fully shake Bato's like commitment to being a cop and to these ideas of justice um but it is something that like that challenges him and in a way that i just enjoy for like Bato is one of my favorite characters in ghost in the shell i like the major a lot and i like bato a lot um and i feel like we just haven't gotten them in that form that we really enjoyed and talked about in standalone complex um and this is an episode where i kind of feel like they're back in a way that they like haven't really been where um we get the major kind of in this role like the relationship between the major and bato and the major more in this like you know, we get her hacking her, uh, Bato to like see through his eyes. Um, she really does not like hesitate to, to move and kind of comments on Bato, like, why did you hesitate, um, to subdue, uh, Angel's Feathers? Um, so we get her as this, like, you know, the, the major that I know, um, in a way that like we are moving into a major who is going to be, um, far less like capable and uh like really committed to to a role um but then also having that like having that version of the major butt up against Bato being this person who um is struggling a little bit more with like his position as a cop um and and like to what degree even as he is like bought into that in some ways, like to what degree does he uh, still struggle with like this sense that he has lost something. Um, and I, this episode does that really well for me in a way that um, reminds me of a lot of stuff that we talked about in, in the first season. Um, and then I think it's like doing it interestingly and, and I enjoy. Um, and yeah, this is like, I feel like every time I get to this episode, when I watch second gig, it just makes me miss the first season. <laughs> um yeah. especially coming right after episode 17 i'm like damn we had it so good <laughs> we didn't know it how could good be we like had this. it
1: damn it it could be like this <laughs> it could just be like this they still know how to do it they did it yeah um well um, you know maybe yeah. the movies will will you know be a little more fun um yeah uh but I, i'm glad that you made that point because um it reminded me of, like, a lot of Bato's arc in season one, like, deals with this. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we discussed it in our prior coverage, but, like, it hasn't, like, the arc hasn't been continued at all <laughs> in second gig. Like, yeah, his, we've his character, so little Bato. <laughs> um, and it's just, like... That arc was really intriguing and where did it go um but you know we're starting we are getting that um here again so um yeah i think i uh, appreciate this episode uh, quite a bit more now um i didn't dislike it but like i didn't really have a great read on like what to make of it um but yeah thanks um that uh, i appreciate this episode a lot more now
0: yeah um, and do go watch Wings of Desire. It's a fantastic movie. Um, maybe,
1: uh, maybe by our next uh, by the next episode, I'll have watched Wings of Desire, and then we can just yeah. go on a tangent yeah. about that.
0: <laughs> I'm sure it will um, be highly related to everything that will happen in the final seven episodes of Ghost <laughs> in the Shell standalone complex second gig. Do, um, do we want to move on to episode 19, an episode that? Um, really is just what the rest of this series is going to be it's just this um yeah this starts the ending arc and it's just continuous story from here
1: okay um yeah episode 19 uh it's an individual episode um title in colon chain reaction of symmetry this is this Um,
0: is me um (laughs) <laughs> so I was trying to translate into like individual individual dual because a lot of websites like to just say in do D mm. <laughs> um, and I forgot to delete it. So <laughs> that's OK. Um,
1: <laughs> and on the on the website where I get the scripts from, there's always like um, th- there is some weird stuff like happening with. Um, yeah. The like. Prefaces in the colon sometimes. Di uh, so, Angels D- poem transparent. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the actual title is just "Chain Reaction of Symmetry," yeah. um, or the American title "Chain Reaction." Yeah,
0: and the rest um, of the series is a chain reaction from this episode.
1: <laughs> oh, but um, um, <laughs> um, on Dejima Island, a crisis is developing. The refugees have declared their independence from Japan in an effort to create an autonomous region they can call their own. The evil Sis is exploiting the situation in an effort to fan the flames of separatism, with Goda vowing to give Kuzei, quote-unquote, his very best script. Uh, with Dejima now cordoned off by officers in riot gear, Section 9 decides to launch a surgical strike against the militant refugees aimed to uh, capture Kuzey. The belief is that if Kuzei is captured, the independence movement in Dejima will die down, uh, Will will die or die down. Um, upon arriving in Dejima, Section 9 splits into two units, with Kusanagi and Ishikawa diving the net, trying to trace Kuzei's cyberbrain to figure out his location, uh, while the others head into Dejima with a spec ops truck and two Tachikomas. The ground team learns that Kuzei has been in Dejima and garnered a great following there among the refugees, um... He seems to do that a lot. Um, While well, uh, Kusanagi succeeds in locating Kuzei's cyberbrain after hacking a few uh, other cyberbrains on the way. Uh, her plan is to hack Kuzei's eyes to determine his whereabouts, but she encounters a vicious backlash after coming into contact with Kuzei. Um, not exactly clear what she encounters yet, um, but we know it's not a, uh, a virus or some sort of... Um, you know attack barrier yeah um she is unsettled and like... shocked
0: and refers to it as de- a delusion and then i think this is key says this guy's tough he's on that ship right now and i know him um mm. further suggesting that this is the boy from the backstory
1: yeah mm. i'm sure uh, i'm sure so, we'll get some resolution yeah. on that at least she
0: the... believes kuze to be
1: the boy that she loves the first boy she ever lived. Um, yeah. So um, the experience rattles Kusanagi, <laughs> uh, but she succeeds in locating Kuze in a camouflaged harbor in uh, northeastern Dijima.
0: She definitely succeeds. Suction. That's definitely the plot of this, is
1: that she succeeds. <laughs> yep, yep, totally. So um, she succeeds, they go find him, they arrest him, and um, that's the end of the episode. Yeah, this is the end of the series. Uh, We've solved the case. <laughs> Psych! Psych! Uh, <laughs> Section 9 reconvenes and prepares to raid the three fishing trawlers anchored there. Um, uh, for some reason, all of the three fishing boats look identical. Um, definitely just a coincidence. Um, while checking out one of the uh, trawlers, Kusanagi discovers a cyberbrain filter and deduces immediately that Kuze is not in the harbor. Uh, but be- before she can relay this information, a gunfight erupts between armed refugees and Section 9. They're basically ambushed here. Leading to the death of a new Section 9 recruit named Yano.
0: I don't um, even know that his name is Yano. I don't would, know where they got Yano How would from. we... I have yeah. no fucking leading clue to, who this guy is. They have developed him zero amount.
1: Yeah, leading <laughs> to the death of a new of a nameless, undeveloped <laughs> new Section 9 recruit... Yeah. Um, ...who the lore tells us is named Yano. Um, they probably found it in the script or something. <laughs> you you Honestly, you would be forgiven, like... The scene where they happen upon his dead body, you would be forgiven for thinking that like, oh yeah, that's just a refugee who's dead. Yeah, they killed the a refugee. Um, <laughs> um Bato hounds Kusanagi. Um he like he gets really angry and yells at her uh for her mistake um you know leading them into this ambush. Um before learning from her that Kuze has gone to Russia, um or yeah, I I guess he's in Russia. Um, with the intent of purchasing plutonium from the Russian mafia.
0: Yeah. Um, I thought I I wrote down the the name of... uh, It's a specific island that's, like, between Russia and um, Japan, and I forget exactly how the... the, um,
1: Uh, Like, the stuff works out, but...
0: Yeah. Um, So, it's, like... The
1: Kuril Islands.
0: Yeah, it's, like, off the coast of, um, um, oh, what's the, what's the, uh, Hokkaido, Hokkaido Prefecture. Oh, Hokkaido. Um, and so, like, it's closer to Japan than it is to, like, mainland Russia, um, but it is, uh, this area that, um, the ownership it, uh, is kind of disputed between Japan and Russia, um, and it's still claimed by Japan, uh, but also like Russia oversees a lot of it. Um, but the, th- the reason, the like significance of them specifically, um, picking this one out is that it is like, if I was going to do some sort of illicit exchange between Russia and Japan, I would probably do it on this Island <laughs> um, cause it's kind of both. <laughs> so, yeah, um, yeah
1: um so um, so in this episode we get a uh a new evil cis enemy type introduced the yeah. gas mask guy
0: yeah when i uh, i put in my notes when i saw this uh mgs ass motherfuckers <laughs> uh they, just, they definitely look like He's, uh like this guy's just
1: gonna summon a bunch of hornets
0: yeah you definitely fight these two guys before you then fight like a bigger boss um, but it's still like a boss <laughs> like a mini boss on the way is these two guys yeah. yeah
1: yeah for sure
0: um they do like ridiculous poses together um as they like monologue to you about uh I don't know
1: <laughs> god knows what yeah <laughs>
0: about like something that is like related to a treaty but is also them talking about like what gets them off or something I don't know Uh, it's Metal Gear Solid like
1: some like some extremely obscure part of history that like you don't even know and you've studied history yeah um, and it's tied into like the entire overarching plot of Metal Gear Solid somehow
0: yeah Um, but it's also tied into their specific kink
1: (laughs) right yeah, yeah yeah And also um, they have supernatural powers.
0: Yeah. Uh, that somehow um, is related to you, but not in a clear way. The gas masks, um, like, you know, probably like controls bees or something.
1: Yeah. No, for yeah. sure. They're, they're about to just summon a bunch of hornets. Yeah. For some <laughs> um And also, like, if you just, if you just, like, stand still, then you, like, you win the boss fight. Yeah. <laughs> You never think to stand still, but if you just like totally stand still. Yeah. Then like they just like they just fuck off and you in the boss fight.
0: Yeah. Um because in your stillness the bees cannot find you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's like dialogue too, like if you stand still for long enough they're like, God damn it, like he must have figured out the the bees to take motion. Like we can't we can't defeat this guy. Yeah. Let's just go. Let's just go be kinky somewhere, <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: and then um, you just they just leave.
0: Yeah, this this is one this is an an episode where I'm like I have some stuff that I I've written down, um, but also I'm like I want you to 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 take the reins here because some of this is just like I know this is the start of the end. This is the beginning of the end um and in terms of this specific episode i don't have a ton of thoughts other than just being like uh, i mean i guess the one big thing is that like this is really the the first and only time that we see the major like fully get like someone gets the one up on her um she fully falters um a recruit is killed we don't know him, so there's no emotional impact. But uh, it is important to us Bato's to be aware really that... Yeah, it's important. It is interesting that Bato being mad at her is where there any possible emotional impact from the scene comes from. And not that someone is actually dead. It's just that Bato is upset <laughs> that her actions resulted in someone's death. Um, and we're like, oh, well, I know Bato. I feel bad about him being ba- like mad about this. But I don't yeah. know who that guy He's is. He's not even
1: like... Yeah, he's not even like. God damn it, Yano's dead. Like, yeah. Do you remember when he was at my birthday like two <laughs> weeks ago? No, it's I literally can't believe just, he's dead.
0: Yeah, the major has faltered. <laughs> it's resulted in a death of a member of the team, which has never happened before. Um, and Bato's mad about it. Um,
1: mm-hmm. um I think there's like. I think there's one way of looking at this episode where um, there's a kind of escalation in the major's, like, uh, violence or her, like, cavalier approach to... So, I mean, for so much of this series, she's essentially just a demigod. Yeah. um, Who, like, can't, you know, has utter power over like anything anyone she encounters um and we've seen over and over again her just like she has no qualm exercising this power to just do more or less whatever she wants um so you know and and this is extending like to her teammates as well um so you know she does that ghost hack on Togusa. She hacks Bonzo's eyes. Um, You know, she's, like, always done stuff like this. But um, I think there is kind of an accelerating um, or an escalating, like, uh, movement um, in second gig where she's just becoming, like, more and more um, willful and like uh violent in um in the way that she's doing this and like indiscriminate um yeah i i really like
0: just related to this a scene that really stands out to me um is they're looking around for like oh what's a place like who can we um hack into who can like the major borrow the cyber brain of and they find a fully cyberized police officer. Um And one, there's just like the major being fully willing to just fully take over um, this person's body. Yeah, she's even like,
1: Oh, that's good. Like, yeah, there's like a playfulness, like in yeah. disregard.
0: Um, but then what I think is also really interesting to me with this um and telling is that once she does, she just stands up, walks over to the refugee, like, the other cop is there, and just, like, plugs in, you know, tilts down, plugs in, shirts the body out, and then the other cop is just like, oh, these cyborgs, they're all nutty, um, and I i think there's also something happening here with, like, one, the is willing to be, be, like, extremely cavalier in this way, um, but also that, like... You know, she has greater power than this police officer that she's uh, hacking into. But both, like, in doing that, she's also fully confident that, like, I, as a police officer, can just walk over there, plug into this guy, like, in front of another person. It doesn't matter. Like, I can just, I can do this because it's the authority. Um, and that doesn't, like, it's not like this... Oh, you're like crossing the line plugging into that refugee. That's not what the cop is saying. It's just like, oh, these these cyborgs they like short out. They do weird things, right? Um, yeah. And so it's also interesting that we get like that scale from like the major's like full confidence of like just using her power and authority to to do whatever she wants. Um and then that get, getting like immediately mirrored with like even this like small scale cop has this power and authority can kind of just do what she wants. To these refugees um so that was a, a thing that i found interesting in that that like that image and that sequence
1: yeah um yeah the, the way that it's like <clears throat> um like that hierarchical mirroring of abuse um yeah. and there's almost like a sense that the major is just so like used to like it's reached a tipping point um her like for her for her character and for her humanity like her power and her willingness to use it against others um has gotten like so out of control um that she almost has like a delusional like a recklessness that's almost delusional um where she's just like oh yeah i'm not even going to pretend to disguise Like (laughs) what's happening. I'm just going to like hack this person and then walk over and hack the refugee's brain. Um, and then I'm going to hack as many refugees brains as I need to, um, to like, to get to Kuzay. Um, and, um, I think this is in this episode, like, you know, we finally get consequences for her doing that. Um, so she arrives at Kuze's brain and there's no like barrier or anything. And she's like, Oh, okay. Yeah. So I'll just go in. Um, and you know, I'm completely unopposed so I can just do what I want. Um, and then Kuze like speaks to her and is like, Oh, don't connect with, you know, don't do it. And she's like, um, Oh, you know, why, why shouldn't I, I can do whatever I want. There's no barrier. Um, and he's like, oh, well, you know, you'll die and you'll suffer. Not because there's any barrier, but because, like, what you want to do is going to hurt you. Yeah. Um, And, like, so then she does it anyway. And, of course, like, you know, I don't know why yet. um, Because I haven't seen the rest of the, the series. Um, yeah. But whatever she, like, you know, linking with him does, like apparently damage her you know in some way um and i I think there's a way of reading this that's like okay you know her humanity um is in crisis um she's reached a tipping point in terms of in, in all you know all of these things um and she's like hurting herself um by like the state that she's put herself in um, it's hurting yourself, this recklessness and this like willfulness to violate others um, and to like exercise violence over over others. Um, the act itself is is harmful. Um, and then, you know, ends with like this defeat and this kind of powerlessness, um, which I think has also been playing in the background, like the major in Section 9, um, losing agency. um, and, you know, um, the crisis of them becoming depowered relative to, like, you know, some other entity. Um, and, and now we get it, like, her actions. Um, not only do they, like... It, the fact of her teammate getting killed is kind of, like, this um, paralleling of, like... Oh, okay, Section 9 cares now because someone from Section 9 is dead. But, like, all of these other people that we've, like, brutalized... Um, that we do brutalize and, like, kill just in the course of doing our normal Section 9 stuff. Um, Like, we haven't cured (laughs) until now, right? So kind of, like, the violence now comes home um, as a result of, like, her actions. Yeah. Um, Or, Um, you know, second-order consequence.
0: Yeah. I I think it's also... For me, it's, like, uh, interesting and significant that this this comes out like, like people are aware that the major is hacking Togus's brain is hacking Toga's brain. Like she tells them that she did that. Um, you know, she's more confident that she can hack like fully into Togus's. Whereas Bato is like, I'm just going to get your visual data. Uh, but like she fully admits to it and no one like really challenges her on that. Um, like, one is like her her capability and her like she is just this like person who is highly capable um but also there's a certain amount to which like there's no questioning of her uh like overextent of these powers even against her own team uh, by people on that team that we see um Mm-hmm. bacha only gets mad when it finally results in someone dying. Um, and it's also specifically like in that moment, this failure of we talked about in the the episode with the, you know, Tachi comas and the the satellite of like the major's like, oh, I know what's going on. It's this guy. he's here, and everyone's just like, well, major knows what she's doing. like, yeah, she says it's that. We're gonna do it. and that they do that here too. They go, well, Major said she hacked in. She figured it out. Like she kind of reacted weird when she did it, but she's like, she says, "It's this, this boat. Let's go." Like she knows. <laughs> um, and so yeah, some of it just is just absolute trust. Yeah, um, and I think it, it's also tying into some degree. We we've got the stuff going around like the collective, but then the collective like organizing around a leader. And if we think about Section Nine in this way, like one, we haven't gotten much aramaki at all this season anyway but like the major is really positioned as the person who is the leader and here is like this failure of the state of the like just the collective being like well we're gonna follow the leader um because when she's wrong then like since the since none of that there's like no questioning of any of her actions um right it's almost like
1: it's it's infeasible that she could be wrong yeah like
0: um and, and so it is this thing where, like, on one hand, it is a failure of, like, the major. She didn't do it right. But also it's kind of a failure of, like, Section 9 that, like, they just continue to just be like, well, the you know, the major knows what she's doing. Let's just follow her. Um, I think that's also one of the things that's kind of coming up here, um, especially with how much this series has, like, talked about this idea of... Um, the the hero or like the positioning of a leader. Um and especially mm-hmm. if we're then thinking about Kuze uh as this like hero who seems to be, or at least um Gota seems to believe like his manufactured hero. Um who uh I think this was also a thing that came up in um I forget which episode I wrote it down. Um but the, there's one too where there's a specific mention to around um, Kuze as this like hero figure. Um, and so then it, it coming up here. Um, oh, I, it was in this episode. I was just scrolling and it was right here uh, referring to the Shea Guevara of the refugee district, another intangible mm-hmm. hero. Um, and that like, if we're thinking about this no play structure where Um, is sort of this main hero we also get this like foil of major as this other hero who in this moment like um fully falters and and like that positioning of her as the hero and as the leader is not only like she fails but then the entire group fails uh, because of that
1: yeah um i think this like opens up a I'm, I'm not going to do it right now, but I think this opens up a reading of like, it, I think we can read the second gig, at least the episodes that we have so far as like, um, maybe uh, having a, a fairly, maybe advancing this critique of the major, um, kind of like progressing towards this critique. Um, uh, you know, uh, in this kind of escalating way, yeah. Um, the last point that I add is um, just this point about Kuzé. Um, he tells the um, so yet so much is made of like the refugees following Kuzé and syncing with him, um, and him being this hero and him being their leader, and um, this is you know something that all of the refugees are speaking about, including Chai um and uh and yet like when we actually see the inner workings of this um Kuzé, like um, one of the main points in this episode is that Kuzé tells um the refugee the smugglers not to fight section nine because they'll just die um he tells them like don't throw your lives away um and yet like he tells them this and then there's kind of like a lingering shot of them just like processing the information um which is interesting because uh later they like do the exact opposite um and you know they fight section nine and they all die um and then we see Kuzé commenting on this in like a private moment being like why did they attack section nine i told them not to yeah um this is like it's like really tragic um and um I think this ties in to like um not only these questions about agency that we've been having, um Section 9's agency with respect to the government, Kuzi's agency with respect to Gota, um, like, you know, being manipulated by larger um the powers that be or larger institutions that you're a part of. Um but also like this concept of charismatic authority or like heroism itself, um, where like within that status, um, it is simultaneously like a kind of enhanced, uh, authority or an enhanced agency, uh, agency, um, agency like over others, um, authority, you know? Uh, and also like a loss of agency, in that like being the uh a hero or being the figure of like charismatic authority um inherently entails like a uh, loss over like the meaning of your own figure um like your uh your identity and your actions uh, uh you know where where the people who idolize you and follow you are making their own meaning um and here in this like moment of Kuzey's like seeming victory um and power um there are these seeds of like you know I, I think the big one being um this moment where like oh there's this you know question over his own agency um in this yeah. in this whole process
0: yeah, and I think you you are kind of hitting on this too, but just to like from some of what I was saying too, there is also this um comparison being set up of like both sides lose members here, like section 9 and the refugees. More refugees die than section 9, but like, you know, both of them have sort of this failure state and section nine is because of section nine's like blind allegiance and uh, belief in the major as being just like always correct and right. Um, And the failure happening on the other side with the refugees is like the refugees not listening and following Kusei's orders. Um, And so like neither of the, like following the leader or not following the leader, like neither one is positioned as like also immediately like the correct choice um, so you know again I I think like there's this idea of heroism but it's also being tied into these ideas around like collectives organizing around like leader figures and those being mm-hmm. heroes but also kind of being leaders in general um, that that the series is concerned with um. Sorry if that was kind of repeating some of what you're saying, but I just wanted to no, to put no, it that, in those no, terms I think, specifically. Um,
1: no, I, I think you're right, um, but yeah, I think that's those are all the thoughts that I um, that I had on yeah. episode uh, 19.
0: So if you're like, uh, why does Cuse want um, some plutonium or whatever? Uh, I think that's what he is getting during the final stuff here. Um,
1: Ask, Let's ask go, Hideo yeah. Kojima.
0: <laughs> um wh- what's the what's going on with these refugees? What what's uh happening with this connection with Kuze and the refugees? Um why is the major uh so rattled? Uh is it a is it a virus? Um is it just love? Who knows? Uh find out next time. <laughs> um episodes oh, I'm 20 through twenty six. Of Ghost in the Shell standalone complex,
1: second gig. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I'm like simultaneously very eager, um, to to see where this <laughs> goes because there's like, there's a part of me that's really enjoying, second gig, um, but some of the things that you said tonight are so ominous. I'm just <laughs> like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> Um, as a note I'm afraid. for
0: people next time, um, I will see, I'll see how I feel, but I, I think I'm going to try and do the thing where we just do the synopsis for all seven at the the top. Um, and then we can talk through it. Um, or maybe if I see good moments to break it down, I might break it down with between some episodes, but I think there'll be a lot more. Let's just talk about multiple episodes at once. Um, just given the fact that it is going to be a, a far more contiguous story. Um, not that second gig hasn't already been full of lots of connective tissue between episodes, but um, this is just full on. It's, it's just all happening now. <laughs> so um, if people have questions, they can write in to ghost divers at gmail.com and we will answer them in the question bucket. Um, that will be after not just next episode, but also after we do solid state society um people can support the network export audio by going to export um which if that redirect for some reason doesn't work you can just go to patreon.com slash export audio um if you go there and you uh do a dollar a month you will get early access to a number of uh, podcasts on the network not ghost divers um but like a lot of autumn's podcasts in particular are the ones uh, that end up being um, a week early. So that includes, uh, let me, let me see if I can remember all the ones that end up being a week early. There's Gotham city limits, which is a a Batman podcast um, where they are ostensibly watching the animated series, but mostly just talking about whatever the hell they want to talk about. It's kind of just a hangout show (laughs) where um, they talk about Batman pretty regularly um, and that's, uh, M of M normal mapping and autumn. Then, um, on Tuesdays or Star Wars comes out. That's my podcast that I do with autumn. We watch movies and talk about them. Um, and yeah, usually there's a segment where we talk about all the movies that we watched in the week prior, which is often quite lengthy. Um, and then we'll talk about the movie that we literally just watched. We watch a movie and then hit record like a minute or two later, um, that is, uh, you can go to export slash ornate stairwells to get the, um, the like free public feed. Um, then on Wednesdays, uh, I believe Wednesdays is hot singles, which is autumn regs and boo. Um, and sometimes guests, uh, where it's a music podcast. Um, usually looking, each one of them will bring an album, um, and talk about it. Um, then on Thursdays, I think is ours or um, which is a Brandon Sanderson podcast. So currently they're reading mistborn. I believe that will still be true when this episode goes out. Um, and then there's no thing that is a week early on Fridays. Cause Fridays is ghost ivies. That's us. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Sundays is bag end book club. Uh, Lord of the Rings podcast. Uh, but there's other stuff on the on the network. If you go to exportod.io, um, you'll see a list of all the podcasts. Like there's a Yu-Gi-Oh podcast um where Nora and Olivia are watching through all of the Yu-Gi-Oh! anime. Um, so you anime nerds listening to this, you might like that one. You can check that <laughs> one out. It's called Attention duelists Um I know there are other ones, but those are the big ones. It's basically oh.
1: just like a really great record label where you just want to listen to all the artists that yeah are on that label.
0: Um, the one other big one that I want to promo um, should still every time I do this, because there's such a like lengthy time in between. I'm like, I don't know if the format of the podcast will even be the same at this point, uh, but I feel like it's <laughs> going to be. They've done a number now where uh, it's basically the same format. So um, the premise, it's called Pop Town Funk. You get it if you do $5 on the Patreon. Um, it's Patreon only, uh, and it is Autumn and Nora. They uh, roll a random Funko Pop, um, and then they have to watch or, or consume some sort of media related to that Funko Pop. So, um, so far there's been, uh, they got Andre the Giant, and they did Princess Bride. Um, they got um power line and did goof uh the goofy movie um or a goofy movie i forget if it's uh or the um they did Death Kappa uh which is a uh very fun like goofy just jokey like, um, kaiju, movie. kaiju movie that uh does feature um Ano Hideaki getting absolutely wasted by someone who uh by a woman who uh opens up her her like normal outfit and is just wearing like lingerie underneath and pulls on a machine gun and just like shoots him many 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 times so uh if you like me would like to see ano get shot with a gun i guess you can you can watch Death <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, yeah, that sounds fun great. With it. um <laughs> And uh, I think the next one that they're doing is an episode of Supernatural. And um, by the time that this goes out, I'm sure there's many more fun episodes they'll get to listen to. So uh, give $5. Check those out. Um, this is like the longest promo I've done for the network. But
1: sometimes I just want to like been, it's really it. It's been a fantastic it. promo. Yeah.
0: yeah. Sometimes you, I just want to really sell it. Um, and I figured I mean, it's,
1: it's well deserved. Yeah.
0: I figured I could do it here. Cause I feel like we're going to have a lot to say next time. <laughs> so,
1: um, it's, it sure sounds that way.
0: Yeah. Um, Twitter, you can follow the podcast at ghost Divers pod. You can follow me at Fox Mom Nia. Uh, where can people follow you? Connor?
1: Um, you can follow me at reveles or a B B L E A I S.
0: um, you can also follow Connor at ghost divers pod where during this podcast, I tweeted the, a screenshot um, of the both the, the Tokusa image that you were talking about, as well as your comment of Tokusa, are you okay? Or whatever. Um, <laughs> Thanks for that.
1: Yeah. Um, one day that ghost divers pod Twitter will just become our, our mind sync.
0: Yeah. I hope. Um. And you can also follow Garfred Aloud for me reading Garfield Aloud into a camera. Um, we are recording this on January 10th. Um, and to celebrate the return of Garfred Aloud, because I haven't done it for a little bit. Um, I just, I had a little celebratory cake. So if you want to see what that's mm-hmm. about, you can go watch uh, the January 10th episode of Garfred Aloud on at Garfred Aloud. Was your cake Aloud. actually lasagna? Um, that would have been good.
1: If, Missed opportunity. If we Missed opportunity. if we
0: ever make lasagna, I will have to do um Agar Fred Aloud with some celebratory lasagna. Um Emily and I do not make lasagna that often.
1: Um Yeah, it's it's real it's pretty big commitment. Yeah. You know? Maybe uh Maybe you just you... go to Olive Garden, <laughs> just get some takeout lasagna from Olive Garden no one will know.
0: Well I think so like literally tonight, like Emily made a, a ragu. Um, which is like a, a meat sauce okay. with like, you know, cheese and noodles. But like, there's just an extra step where you have to like layer everything and then put it in the oven for like a while. And when you have a toddler that goes to bed at like seven, seven 30, um, mm. the, the time commitment for lasagna, um, yeah, I guess its like
1: an 8 PM type situation. Yeah.
0: Like, I guess we could like make it on the weekend where it'd be easier to start it earlier. Cause we're not like at work, but, um. Yeah, I don't know. Lasagna just is not a normal part of my life. Uh.
1: <laughs> that's that's kind of embarrassing for someone who has a Garfield. Well, has a Garfield Twitter. The thing is, is that I,
0: I don't really like Garfield. I like Heathcliff. Um, I do eat ham somewhat regularly. I have chinelette most mornings for breakfast, especially during the weekdays, uh, which is um, it's like just what my. German family refers to it, which I, I think it's like a German name for it. It's basically butterbrot if people are more familiar with that as like a, a broader German thing. Is that but, another German name? Um, yeah, it's just like <laughs> the densest possible rye bread that you can imagine, um, and you spread some good butter on there. Um, so the the name schnitter means like slices, basically, because it's like a slice of bread. Um, you if you have good butter, you can like literally slice it with a knife and then like put it on there and then just kind of like smush it into the bread a little bit. Um, Mm. And uh, then what I do, I have a a loaf where it's like a fairly large piece. So I cut it in half and on one half I put meat and on the other half I put cheese. Um, And often I'll do like a black forest ham um, because I'm German as hell. Um, Mm. And then the, the other side I'll do whatever cheese I feel like at the time um and then i usually do cracked pepper um yeah oh nice it's kind of like an open-faced sandwich where um i'm
1: not gotta got a, you got a wild card there with the, the cracked pepper
0: yeah um it it's like a very simple thing but it's just like i don't my grandparents ate it all the time when i was growing up um and i kind of just associated it as like old people food um and then at some point i just started eating it because honestly it's like a very um it's a breakfast that like gives me a lot of energy and that like honestly is like you know fairly low calorie like this just like is easy to do i can eat it and then like keeps me going until lunch so um yeah I, i do that most mornings and in my family and I feel like this is pretty normal for like schnida. Uh you don't put meat and cheese on it. You don't put the s- the two slices together, the one with the meat and the cheese into a sandwich. Um when like Autumn was was looking for apartments in Chicago, they spent the night. Um and I made schnida in the morning cuz I had work. Uh and they put it together like a sandwich and I was aghast. Um Ooh. you don't do that with Schnitter. Um I allowed them to do it. I was not gonna tell them to stop, but they did it and I was like, what is happening? Very, that, was, that, what was, is happening? that was very generous of you. Yeah. <laughs> uh this goes against everything I know. Um anyway. Um uh, Do we yeah, want to end this podcast or your,
1: casually insulting your heritage there? No big deal. Yeah. Um yeah, I think we I think we can end the podcast. Okay. Um Yeah. Uh, next time I'll talk about my breakfast. Um, oh, yeah. Wait. But Let's say bye, go, everyone, go, go, and go, then, gotta, then... Gotta have a cliffhanger to keep people coming back. Well,
2: yeah.
0: So do you want to do it next episode, or do you want to say bye now? We'll do the ending theme, uh, which, again, still not as good as Lithium Flower. Um, it has its own yeah, charm, it's but it's no Lithium Flower. Uh, we'll do the Rise theme. Rise is growing
1: on me, I yeah. will say. Rise is growing on me.
0: Um, it's catchy. Um, uh, I don't like it quite as much, but it it, it is it is a lot catchier. Um, mm. so yeah, it's good. Um, but yeah, do you, do you want us to say bye now? People can listen to the, the ending theme and then come back and you'll talk about your breakfast or are we really saving it for, for the next episode, which oh, we're,
1: we're saving it for the next episode. Okay. Uh, that we're means for me, for it's
0: going to be weeks cause we're going to record adolescence of Utena, um, and the Utena question bucket in between. Um, yep.
1: Yeah, well. Wow. That's you got to build suspense. Yeah. Hopefully you
0: remember and this bit gets paid off.
1: Make like a note um, now, Connor. <laughs> okay, I will. As soon as we fin- as soon as we stop recording this podcast, I'm going to make a note. Okay. We'll, we'll see how reliable that that is. B- Bye everyone. <laughs> Bye. See you all next time.
4: Between the world of sleep and awake, seems so far away. Come and sweep the shores of my mind. Letting it be visions pass and emotions.
0: was a podcast um, yeah it was doing it do you want to keep goofing off or do you want to just end recording
1: um yeah we can't we can end recording we got a lot of goofs in
0: yeah okay i'm gonna hit stop oh wait should we do a time that is clap have you stopped yet no oh, that's okay um i just always do i like haven't changed the uh the like time thing Cause basically I do it To like your audio is just always Like weirdly slightly faster Um and I just always Do the exact same one now it's like the Exact same amount and it works every time Um and so I don't really need The other clap but um Sometimes I still just feel like well, Might as well just in case Just in case something weird happens Um I'm sure I'll be fine now <coughs> okay i'm recording (laughs) okay um do you want to do a clap the one-handed clap isn't working because what we want is a really big line Mm. (laughs) Um, maybe if you do it really close to the mic
3: okay i'm ready
0: um so we go to time that is
3: i'm just gonna clap connor's gonna
0: say the seconds and you want to clap when it's switching over to that
1: um, we're going to do ready, 30, 30. Yeah, yeah. Well, 39. Nice. Okay. That was perfect. Can Emily just do all the claps from now on? Yeah.
3: Gary, <laughs> <laughs> ready?
0: Yeah, we're going to. So you sent us uh, through the mail mm. a 12 pack of. So you say Ailey. And I thought it was al but it says at the top here, AL-8-1, and then I noticed that it's AL-8, and then there's a little one. Yeah, but yeah. I'm
3: ignoring, and choosing to ignore that one. It's is, just does a
0: everyone name. just say, say AL-8? Is it just... Oh, I have no idea. It's... Is this Is like
1: Kentucky or something? Yeah, it's a Kentucky thing. Um, I think people say AL-8-1, but to be honest, I've never been in a conversation, like, with anyone from here about this beverage so i don't know how the locals (laughs) refer to it i've only ever talked about it with people who are like not from kentucky or cincinnati which is basically kentucky
3: it's one of the ingredients mitch mcconnell (laughs) Mm.
1: (laughs) i don't think so um i I would not have purchased it if if it were yeah (laughs) Um,
0: um okay so, yeah, Emily is is joining us for the transformation of Ghost Divers into a, a Mukbang podcast. You're a oh, Mukbang yes. correspondent. Oh, lovely. So, you ready to crack this open?
3: It has corn sweetener. I've never had a beverage with corn sweetener. Okay, ready?
1: Oh, yeah, it's it's got all kinds of stuff in there.
0: We got two distinct...
1: Nice, crisp uh, opener opening sound.
3: It tastes like flat ginger ale. Is it supposed to taste like flat?
1: Something might have happened in transit, but you gotta, like, it, the flavor reveals itself to you over time. It's, Mm. your, your brain can't, like, I don't think it's possible. Wait, let
3: me try yours. How, how's mine? Oh my god, I think mine's flat.
0: Yours is just flat. Yeah, yours went flat.
1: Oh, no.
3: <laughs> I was like, this is very disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> We're off to a little I bit of a I was like, it's
0: not like the yet. most... Cause, cause, that's why, so that's thing why with I said Verners, 12. A thing with Verner's is when you when you crack it open, it's like so intensely carbonated that you go to drink and all the ginger shoots right up your nose and it's part of the medicinal quality. You'll start it's that like Yeah, you start coughing from just like... The vapor is going up your nose. Um, This does not have that intensity of... No,
3: it does not. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's a lot more subtle. There's like a little bit of ginger. It's like you took like a a Sprite or a Sierra Mist or something and you just gingered it up a little.
3: Mm Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Well, I'm not going to drink this because it is flat. So I'm going to go dump it. Unless you want to drink it. You
0: can leave it. I'll I'll see if I drink it or not. We'll find some use for it. I mean, it's already flat. It's not going to go more flat. (laughs) I just just noticed that on the... So there's a thing on here that says the uncommon can. With one sip, you're uh, you're there, right in the middle of everything that's great about bluegrass country. The free spirit, the thirst for something beyond the ordinary, and a trek off the beaten path. Handcrafted using a recipe passed down for generations... They're passed down through four generations. Our story is uncommon. Open an ale eight and live your uncommon story. So they don't have the one in there on this it's, part of the can.
1: Yeah. It's. There's 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 a lot of levels to this. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so and the fact leaving. that. Are you leaving?
3: Of course I'm leaving.
1: Okay.
0: You said we uh, into aware mode.
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh, what? Is what?
0: Um, I'm gonna take a second and and switch over to my good headphones. Okay, bar. all right. So you'll not be able to hear me for a second. <laughs> or I won't be able That's to okay. hear you. Yeah. You'll be able to hear me. I won't be able
1: to hear you. Okay, I've been warned. You'll be able to hear me. Okay, so I'm wait, just not hold on. Able to hear hold you. On. So wait, I just want to make sure I get this straight. So I'll be able to hear myself. And you'll yeah. be able to hear me.
2: Yeah.
1: Okay.
0: Um, anyway, I did that bit long enough that I was able to stealthily s- swap the headphones in there. I don't uh-huh. know if you know when it happened. Uh,
1: probably the part where I was talking.
0: No, because you were saying that you would be able to hear you and that I would be able to hear me. So I heard that part.
1: No, I said I said, I will be able to hear me myself. Yeah. And yeah, you'll, you'll be you'll able be to hear, me. hear after I put on the headphones, right? But like in the moment when I was talking, when I suspect yeah. that you were switching when I had your my headphones, headphones up, on. Yeah, but I think, but I think you were really switching your headphones on because you didn't like when you repeated it back to me. You didn't say exactly what I said, so I think that you're right. like trying to convince that's an, me. That's an issue but with my memory. I think yeah, I think you're bluffing right now and I'm not falling for it. No, but I heard I heard the same because I'm Saito. I got I got
0: one word off.
1: <laughs> uh, okay, what moment
0: was it when you switched the headphones? Um so what I did was because I had already taken the one that Emily was listening to on and put it back in the case, so I still had the one in my ear and then I had half of a can over on the my other ear. So my like right ear is what had my like bluetooth in. Oh. And nice. so I put like <clears throat> over the left. Actually it's over ear, so I just kind of like had it almost over cuz I then had to use my hand. Um and I switched it over to the normal ones that I listen to that are like actual cans. Okay. Yeah. yeah um, so you and then it. I I and then I took out the right one and, and put it on. So there's actually never a moment where I was not hearing what you were saying.
1: Okay. Um so it was it was a trick question. Yeah. Well, it was the premise was the trick. The question wasn't a trick. Yeah. You know what I think about
0: this um What's that? What's I don't that? know if Emily would agree with with This This is AL8. Um I think this to make a good mixer. Uh-huh. Um with like like if you're doing like one of those mixes where it's like mostly a soft drink, you know? Um and you just, like, had a little bit of, like, whiskey in here or um, maybe, like, gin or something. I feel like it would be a nice little mixer. So, you got a little so, bit of ginger. You got a little bit of, like, citrus. You know, you got some bubbles. Yeah.
1: So, the fact that you ha- had that thought and also the fact that one of the cans is flat is those two factors get, like, are related enough to the story that I'm about to tell that it gives me okay. like, a license to tell. Like, I have an excuse to tell this story. Yeah. So, um, you know that, as you know, um, I went to college in Kentucky for a couple of years, Yeah, which is where I first encountered AL-8. Uh, damn, now I'm saying AL-8. Um, I switched back, back and forth. Um, but that's where I first encountered AL-8, um, down in central Kentucky. And... Yeah. Uh, so they had it at like the cafeteria soda fountain and then all of the like gas stations around really there was just like one there was one speedway that was like near campus that we would all just walk to and that was a primary source of like snacks and whatnot but they had it um so I never like drink it a ton but I I was intrigued enough by it that uh Whenever someone would come visit, I would always be like, oh, you got to try this. Um, so one time, my uh, my really close friend, uh, Brandon, came to visit. And this was like freshman year of college. So um, just to give you an idea of like how, um, how smart we were. And uh, we were just like drinking a lot. And I showed Brandon Ailey and he was like, Oh my God, this would make a great mixer. Um, so what we did is we went to the gas station and we bought like, cause this is like the smartest plan we could come up with for some reason.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, <laughs> we bought one of those like giant, um, big gulp, like, you know, the giant like thermos that the gas station sells. Yeah. And it's like, you know, whatever. Whatever quantity, you know what I'm talking about. And then you refill it for like three cents once you buy the thermos. Um, so we bought one of those and we just filled it up completely with AL8. And we were like, oh yeah. So for the next five days, (laughs) this is, (laughs) this is going to be our supply of AL8 um, for like all of our mixers. Um, and then we got it and like threw it in my mini fridge. And then of course it went flat and just became like, extremely disgusting and we pulled it out i think like two days well and we didn't even use it right away we pulled it out like two days later and then we like started trying to drink it and we were like oh my god this is fucking terrible (laughs) uh and then we just dumped it all out um so yeah uh that happened uh but i I still like la like in spite of that yeah Um, I always felt like it was kind of a, uh, it has kind of like a cream soda vibe to me. Um, like a very slight, like cream soda vibe mixed with like a ginger soda. And then it has some like citrus elements in there. Um, yeah. it's just a really weird mix. Um, so, you know, I've always, I've always enjoyed it. But maybe maybe that's just me. Yeah. Um in all of Kentucky.
0: Yeah, it's a nice it's a nice soda. Uh it's not it doesn't feel like the role of Verners. Like again, like Verners has a medicinal quality to it. Because it's just like such a strong, like ginger and barrel aged flavor. Um and then again, you crack it open and it is so fizzy and it just goes straight up your nose and you try and take that first sip. Um and yeah, like most people will like cough the first time they try and drink it.
1: <laughs> um Yeah. It's, yeah great, really it's not quite as much of a like gut punch as Verners is, I think. Mm-hmm. Um But You know, it's. I hope it grows on you because the flavor has, you know. Because I have a 12 pack of it. (laughs) Yeah, you have a 12 pack of which, like, you know, probably only half are flat. Um, Yeah. So, yeah. But also, like, it does grow on you a little bit. Sometime in the future, you're going to be like. It could be like a year from now, could be 10 years from now. You're going to be like, you know what? I want to be
0: Yeah. Um, I only was unsure if she had had this before because when we first moved to Chicago and we lived on the South side, um, there was, we had to like drive a little bit to get to it, but there was this uh, like kind of grocery store, but it just had like a large section of like beverages. Um, like I would say like a good third of it was just beverages. Okay. Um and so there was just like a lot of weird beverages that, like, I don't know why they stocked all of this. Um, and so she's like, "I think because they had cheer wine, which is like, I yeah. you don't see very often." Yeah, um, we had cheer
1: wine in uh, in the cafeteria along with yeah.
0: The um, and so I think they also had ale eight. Um, along with like a bunch of other more regional soda stuff. Um, and then that's also where we got champagne. Um. I've never heard Which of it. Which is uh, the Champagne of Malt Liquors. <laughs>
1: uh, it sounds good.
0: Um, it was actually, <laughs> it, w- it was surprisingly, um, like, if you are are getting a malt liquor and you want to romance someone, Champagne is the one to get. <laughs> okay. I will say that. Um, I guess that's
1: a scenario that probably happens sometimes.
0: Yeah. So, um it's it's a it's a romancing bottle of malt liquor. Okay, um, so it's like it's for sharing. W- or you could both have one. But you're still romancing with it. Right.
1: But, um, but you both have to be drinking it or else it's yeah. just it's, it's yeah. like it's not romantic, it's repulsive if only one person is drinking it. It just completely flips.
0: <laughs> well, I think it would still taste fine, but like If I, if you're alone and you're drinking malt liquor, I think you want a different vibe than Champagne. Whereas if you are on a date with a special someone and drinking malt liquor, that's a different vibe that Champagne will, will really easily, um, slot into. I guess it is, it's brewed with yeast that is more commonly used in wine fermentation. So, um, it does have a little bit more of like a, a sparkling wine taste to it. Um, Okay.
1: That sounds pretty cool. Yeah, maybe um, I'll, uh, maybe I'll check that out next time I'm uh in the grocery store. See if they have that. Yeah, I don't know what what region that is. If it is like a regional thing or not. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just gonna. I'm gonna look at. Um. um Ch- Cheerwine is a North Carolina thing, right?
0: I think so. Okay, that's um, what I thought. Of. Emily drank a lot of it when she was at SCAD, because I, mm-hmm. I think it's also there. Um,
1: yeah. Yeah, Sarah never mentioned it to me, but uh, I don't know. Maybe she was just drinking it and uh, it. So,
2: so, what?
1: Is this... It, I, we're looking at the same thing, right? Are you looking at the Champagne Wikipedia? Entry? Yeah.
0: So it's it's from Pabst Brewing supposedly. Yeah. Um, so nowadays. Yeah, and then there's this article, Champagne site now in eminent domain fight. Oh, um, interesting. Let me look at the when it was archived on the Wayback Machine. Um, this is from 2007. TheTrentonian.com a co-worker who in 1985 moved to the Trenton area, voiced a a question heard throughout the city when she first arrived. What is that god-awful smell? You mean to tell me that I left the fresh New York state air for this while Fred Sanford enjoyed his famous um, chimpipple mixture of champagne and ripple? Trentonians had their champagne, one of the first... Malt liquor is produced that targeted specifically the African-American community. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Oh, apparently... Um, this, like, had some campaign that, that predated the the infamous or um, famous Billy D. Williams, The Power of Colt 45. It works every time. Um, I don't know if you've seen those ads. I have not. Um, anyway... I guess this is specifically about the smell from the distillery or something. Yeah. Um, I thought it was going to be about the website for Champagne. Okay. Um,
1: yeah. So it looks like it started in New Jersey. Yeah. Which I, I guess I could, I can see that.
0: Um, anyway. Do you have any other opening bits?
1: This is the main one that we have. Bland. No, I was so I was so just like heavily anticipating the ale tasting that I just yeah. didn't think of any other bits. Um, I'm sorry to I'm sorry it put you down a little bit.
0: It's okay. We we don't need to do uh, bits all the time. Do we want to? Oh, I'm do... sorry the ale let you down. The alien is fine. I, I mean, I guess I only really got the flat one. but um, I'm double-checking because I once again think that I didn't uh, decide who is doing which one, but I think it'll be fine. Um, oh, you're getting episode 17, but that's fine. I'll interject about the part that the synopsis just completely skips over.
1: Um, <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Were um, you
0: aware of the moments that I hate in the, these episodes?
1: Yeah, yeah. The moment where, um, yeah, well, maybe we can talk about <laughs> mm. <laughs> on the on the actual, uh, you know, on the pre on the pre credits uh, episode. Yeah. Uh, shall we get this started? I think so. Okay. Um,
0: do you want to move on to the episode that I hate
1: uh yeah um okay
0: um let's let's take a bathroom break real quick just to to delay it unless you have final okay. things to say no I know yeah it's we
1: we can delay it you can um, <laughs> give give me one final just,
0: little gasp at yeah just go this. like
1: just go punch the, punch the wall a few times. um, (laughs) Get, get psyched up to take this episode apart.
0: Yeah. Just my Um, favorite episode. I love this episode so much. Um, There's nothing in it. That's just weird and bad in a like bad anime way that I just (laughs) expect this series to not do this weirdly anyway. um, Mm, Yeah.
1: (laughs) Okay. Bathroom break.
0: Yeah. I'll be back. Okay. (laughs) All right. I'm back. Apparently, I may have beaten you back.
1: Okay, I'm back. I beat you back? Oh. Well, I did have to refill my um, water filter and pour more water.
0: Oh. You had to refill your supply of AL-8?
1: <laughs> no, unfortunately, I don't have any AL-8 on me. Um, I should have bought some so we could drink it together. It was kind a tragedy. Of a missed opportunity. Um, okay, you ready?
2: Yes.